Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Lookout Sir 40k podcast, a Warhammer 40,000 podcast produced, delivered, developed by three fine friends and assortment of other friends. Don't want to diminish anyone's status by saying they're not our friends. They are. It's just they could potentially. Anyway, let's not get into the particulars. My name is Dan, and I'm joined as ever by my good buddy, Phil. How you doing, Phil? Hello, hello, hello. Um, um, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Crikey. The levels of enthusiasm there. It's almost like we hadn't been recording for the last couple of hours. Don't, don't break the illusion, don't. <laughs> Sorry, yes, this, this happens at the start. This happens at the start. Um, me and Phil were talking, and uh, we sort of believe, because it actually does make some amount of sense, that we should now and again reinforce some of our kind of character archetypes in terms of our hobby attributes and what we do. So for anyone who doesn't know already, Phil's our resident Astra Militarum Krieg man. Isn't that right, Phil? Uh, I am indeed. So you are what we could go so far as to call a Astra Militarum or Krieg specialist? Uh, predominantly, yes. So I got back into the hobby for the last four or five years and I've been only... Well, I have been collecting other things, but predominantly the only things I have painted and play with are Krieg models, mostly all from Forge World. There you go. Uh, and, it's, and it's rather large as well. <laughs> What's rather large, sorry? Uh, well, all sorts, but my Krieg <laughs> army in particular. Absolutely. Without a doubt, my friend. The finest of looking armies, for sure. Um, and on the topic of the finest looking things, I can only be referring to the incredibly beautiful and graceful man known as Joe. How are you, Joe? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I am... Um... Um, currently drowning in uh, in in chaos models. Drowning in chaos models. There you yeah. go. What a way to go. <laughs> uh, it's it's become a problem. Every yeah. time I breathe in, the spiky yeah. bits get in my lungs. They just yeah, it's literally just a choking smog <laughs> of of lack of control. There you go. My there we are. So, uh, you know, Joe, as, uh, you know, was the case with Phil, so talking about doing an introduction segment that somewhat kind of touches upon the archetypes or what you represent. Obviously, for those who weren't already aware, uh, once upon a time, I said something really horrible about Joe in an introduction segment, and uh, he, he, he weeped a little, shed a tear, cried out. He was like, why am I never referred to as anything worthwhile, but instead some kind of useless husk of humanity that has no purpose or reason for being and i said joe from here on out i will only say the nicest possible things about you so that's where all that you know empty sentiment about him being a really great human being comes from isn't that right joe yeah i like that you keep like the lack of abuse to the podcast because <laughs> if, if i'd get confused if you were nice to me in real life <laughs> that's true that's true well you are an absolutely useless that's just the uh, that's the grim reality lull, of it all it would lull me into a full sense of security if I had people being nice to me every day that's it me and Phil only keep you here so as we can talk about you behind your back isn't that right Phil oh completely <laughs> life would be quite boring otherwise oh, exactly exactly I've said it before Joe you're the glue the sticky substance that keeps us all together. And I am sticky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then, yeah, I'm Dan. I'm, 
What's the... See, this is the weird bit, isn't it? Now I've got to do that bit like I did. If you if you want to know what I'm all about, go listen to episode one. It's really great. You're, huh? you're the... You're the... Um, you're the competitive one. Like the Scrooge McDuck of the group. <laughs> so um, I'm the Scrooge McDuck competitive one. What's the yeah. Scrooge McDuck, uh, you know, comparison for? I don't know. Is it's it not, it's not, who's, the, who's, the, who's the one that lives in the mansion? That is Scrooge McDuck, yeah. It's Scrooge McDuck, of yeah. Of the DuckTales crew, the one who lives of in the, the du- mansion. Yeah, but yeah. I don't live in a mansion, Joe, nor do I have a giant bin of money. Oh, not yeah. even like a vault that's kind of like a giant swimming pool. No, no, I have no vault that's kind of like a giant swimming pool. Um, which, which one would you prefer to be? I've always been a fan of um, Launchpad. You, you would make a good launch pad, to be fair, I reckon. Although yeah. you'd probably more likely be... Um, I don't know, actually. Which one? I can't remember the cast beyond that. You'd be the genie from the movie. Well, he's uh, he's a bit weird. He's yeah. the one that hangs around with Huey, Dewey and Louie. He's the one that hangs around with Huey, Dewey and Louie. What, and, and, and didn't they introduce a lady duckling into the mix as well for that movie? I want to say Daisy. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I think it might be Daisy, actually. I think you're right, it probably was Daisy. What did he say when he did the magic spells? I can't remember, it was been a long time. He definitely had a thing, didn't he, when he would do the magic? He had this little catchphrase that he threw out. Was it Shibui? I think you might be right on that. I think I'm, I, have I, a... I, I, I'm disturbed by it, but I probably am accurate. Anyway, there you go, so that's that. I'm, I'm the Scrooge McDuck uh, competitive one. Uh, and I play pointy-eared elves, um, so that's fun. So there you go. That's us, and a little bit about what we do and why we do it. Uh, but let's move on and tell you about what we're going to be talking about today. So probably makes sense that I say this from the outset. We had good aspirations, good intentions, and good ideas about bringing back the quiz this week uh, or this episode. But sadly, due to a number of time constraints, we weren't able to get it done um richard will be joining us uh for the next episode i promise uh to put together a really great quiz content uh also the weeks have just been really manic for all of us so it's been difficult to get the recording in so for any of you that were really enjoying the quiz last week and we heard a lot of positivity about it we're definitely in the habit of keeping it going but we probably will be doing it on alternating weeks uh just to try and give it a little bit of you know special veneer uh unless of course Oh, sorry, Joe. Sorry. I can hear the I can hear the fans writing the hate mail to Richie already <laughs> on, on not being here and available. Well, to Richard's credit, it's not his fault. Oh, so there we well go. then, can we not just say it's his fault? Just because I want to see what people will send him. Well, yeah, no, we could definitely <laughs> say that, but I just I don't know. I don't want to discourage Richard from keeping on doing it. If we if he hears this and hears that we're just saying that it's all his fault and throwing him under a bus, he might be you know disencouraged from doing it in the future and you wonder why it all means to you in, in real life joe when when this is your behavior on the show yeah but I've, i might have already sent him something like i've preempted yeah you've got that alternate account that you start throwing around uh, abuse on well no i had it delivered in one of those like royal mail big like postal bags like like the ye olde ones made from like burlap you know, right? It's not like the movie Seven, is it? Yeah, just says hate mail on the front of it, <laughs> and just Richie's face. What you made the the sack out of Richie's face? 
I don't know, I haven't skinned him. All right, gonna... thank God. Anyway, just so everyone knows, the quiz isn't happening this week. We're really sorry about that, but it is what it is. Um, it will happen in future episodes, because we want to kind of keep it special. Unless, of course, uh, the numbers for when we do a quiz are so much greater than when we don't, in which case being a slave to you know, pop culture and the need for numbers will probably just do it every time. So, yeah, if, uh, you know, you really want to see that quiz come back, stop listening now and, uh, you know, we'll just be compelled to have to do it all the time. Just turn the whole thing into a kind of 8 out of 10 cats type show. That would be great, wouldn't it? You are a bit of a Jimmy Carr, actually. I suppose have so. You, have you done your taxes recently? No, because obviously as Scrooge McDuck, I don't, uh, I don't pay any taxes. That's how, that's how it goes. That's why I keep all my money in uh, in in physical cash within a bin. But for now, let's talk about the topic. So as I say, no quiz this week, but we will have a comprehensive news segment where we talk about the latest and greatest things that are happening within the Warhammer Forty Thousand hobby. Uh, so that will come first of all, uh, and then that will then be followed up uh, when Richard joins us. Uh, and we discuss the new Chaos Space Marine Codex and Vigilus Ablaze content. So we're going to go through Vigilus Ablaze and the Chaos Space Marine Codex Volume 2, pick out a thing that we like each, uh, and then talk about that in some amount of detail. Um, So yeah, unless anyone has any closing comments or things that they want to add, I guess we'll move on. Joe, you okay? I am good. Phil, feeling good? Uh, yep, I'm all ready to go. Wonderful. Then in which case, let's move on, if we shall, to the news! Get your ears ready, chaps, because it's time for the news! There we go! Uh, still quite haven't gotten used to uh, that fabulous new transition that Phil put together for us, but hopefully uh, we haven't done as bad a job on the editing and it doesn't sound like it's going to blow out anyone's uh, car radio speakers or uh, jar anyone massively. So, yeah, there we go. Lovely, lovely intro, Phil. You've done a fabulous job, as always. Uh, So let's talk about the news, shall we, gents? So uh, we're going to now go through the news stories that have transpired between uh, Thursday the 28th of March and the day of recording, which today is Thursday the 11th of April, 2019. Um, It's fair to say, uh, and I will say, that it's been a fairly uneventful couple of weeks uh, obviously the adepticon thing happened and most of the 40k news that we're going to round up here has come from that but part of that and a whole slew of chaos releases it's been fairly quiet when you agree gents definitely there you go solid and firm but with that said let's talk about the first of the news items today uh, which was the announcement of apocalypse uh, so for those who are relatively new to the hobby of warhammer 40,000 maybe you've not heard about Apocalypse and what that represents. So back in the olden days of Warhammer 40,000s, if you wanted to take a gigantic thing like a Baneblade or a Knight or a Gorgant or whatever it happened to be, um, you couldn't do that uh, unless you were playing in an Apocalypse setting, which was a series of rules designed to allow you to play massive games of Warhammer 40,000. And by all accounts... Apocalypse is still exactly that. Um, but what do we expect, guys? What do you think and hope to see from a rule set uh, already containing massive models to then expand itself to a better 
you know, facilitate massive models. What do you reckon? Uh, let's start with Phil's opinion on Apocalypse. Uh, well, I hate to break the news to you, but you said in the olden days, if you wanted to play a knight, you'd use Apocalypse. Uh, the earlier versions of Apocalypse, knights didn't exist. So well, I, all right. I, yeah, I, no, I don't want to show you up, but I am. Well, I, I, said, I said Baneblade first, and then I couldn't remember the name of the gigantic orc walker that came along. That was the Gargant, wasn't it? Gargant, yeah. So I got that right, but you're telling me I'm, I made a mistake when I called out the knight specifically. Yeah, because oh. knights weren't around then. Although, Sam, Matt, the, if I'm remembering rightly, um, the 2007 chapter approved had a very sort of uh, miniature version of Apocalypse mm. um, added to it. And actually, if you think about it, a lot of the old um, elements of Apocalypse are now in 40k, so stratagems was a mm. thing the original uh, versions of Apocalypse had, and that's obviously come over to 40k. By the looks of it... Yeah, detachments were originally an apocalypse thing. Oh, you mean like the sort of formation style? Yeah, formations and detachments that unlocked stratagems um, all stemmed from apocalypse. Yeah. It's true. Although, did did they have stratagems as well, or just detachment special rules? No, you had stratagem cards that you could play, because you could bring back things that had died, for example, although I think that was some kind of tactical reserve rule. But you did have some special cards that you could play, for sure. I don't think I ever played a game of Apocalypse, it has to be said. Has any, either of you gents, ever played a game of Apocalypse? I played a lot of it, actually. Really? When I lived ye olde minehead. Um, Yeah, when it first came out, we did what everyone else did, and we all were like, we're going to rent a hall, and we're going to bring, like, 15,000 points each. Uh-huh. And then... 15,000 really points each? 15,000 points each. What, per I had, player? Uh, per player. So at the time, what? I had something like... I had, like, 6,000 points of Necrons on the table. What? And about 4,000 points of... Um, chaos. Um, and I borrowed somebody else's neck, like Necrons and Tyranids. So and you one had of the guys, very strange Necrons. allies of convenience you've got going on there. Oh, it was a mish. It was a, it was an awful mishmash. Like there was like it was like Imperium versus Imperium so, versus like, assorted. Well, which to be fair is the entire basis of Warhammer Forty Thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So Definitely. you embodied that uh, much, I guess. But the like everyone else, we didn't realise how long a game turn would take. <laughs> and I think over the course of like two days, we did about three turns. See, my yeah. theory always with the Apocalypse stuff is, to me, Apocalypse should be a game system that incorporates a, uh, a GM. I think you need a game yeah. master to make Apocalypse work properly. Because I think if you've got someone that can oversee proceedings and set time limits and set kind of uh you know the agenda to keep things moving on and you know moving things around i I think that's really good as well and i also think when it comes to apocalypse games because they always seem to end up with like multiple multiple players you probably need those players to kind of end up being kind of like there does need to almost be like a hierarchical structure within that i.e there's an overarching general that is the only person that can communicate with the gm and the GM, and and then there's like I don't know two or three or four sort of you know commanders that control quadrants of the board or something because 
Yeah, no, every time I've ever come near to playing a game that is of apocalypse scale, it just never seems to go anywhere because you spend most of your time um, just sort of talking over each other and trying to get someone to roll saves and stuff. And I think the other weird thing about Apocalypse, I find, whenever I've seen people play it or have come close to playing it, is, is it just sort of ends up that people set up their stuff in a kind of quadrant of the board. So it's like if you, me, and Phil and Rich were playing Joe... We would have yeah. each of our armies set up kind of next to each other, but they're only it, but they would span across four tables worth of space, and then we would kind of find our opponents doing something very similar. So it'd always be like that weird thing where we'd just be like, "I'm pushing my fo- army forward on my side of the table," and it just turned into like four individual games of 40k, all happening. Um, simultaneously so it just meant your turns took forever it seems or at least uh, i don't know is that accurate i'm, I'm not sure oh pretty much there's no way like because you can't have one person spread out their force across like a 20 foot table mm. because no doubt someone at one end will want to shoot at your say 30 terminators and you're busy down the other end of the table trying to roll saves and take shots and stuff um I think, like, when we when we did it, I think we said the maximum points is 3,000 mm. per person. Like, any higher than that is just ludicrous, mm. um, regardless to how many people are playing. Mm. And I think you kind of need to tailor your armies as well before the game. Yeah. So, say there's three of you playing, you have to decide uh, per team. You have to be like, well, I'm going to hold the back. I'm going to hold the mid table and then you're going to hold like your, or you're going to deep strike in and an attack at the front kind of thing. Mm. You have to have a game plan. Otherwise it's just going to. Yeah. We did quite a good, um, it wasn't apocalypse, but it was definitely apocalypse scale at Warhammer world. It was called council of war, which was a four four match. I can't, I think we had a thousand points each though. No, it was 2000 points each. each. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I actually forgot all about that. We did actually spend an entire day trying to play an apocalypse scale type game. But it wasn't, Apocalypse yeah. the game, it was just regular 40k, but uh, yeah, like I said, 8,000 v 8,000 points, I think. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. people did bring quite a lot of like super heavies and stuff, and everyone sort of had to have like a 2,000 each army list thing. Um, so yeah, but it, even that, I mean, how many turns did we get into that? And we played for, I don't know, six hours or something, seven hours? It was. I think we got to at least turn four or five mm. because one person took a really bizarre old, like, I think it might have been either a fourth edition or fifth edition special detachment. It was like a for- formation. It Maybe was it, was a, it, it was from the experimental spearhead rules for fourth edition, I think. Um, and yeah, because he had a load of was it st- st- I can say Stormhawks. No, Storm Ravens. Storm Ravens. That's it. Um, so his his whole army was a bunch of like dreadnoughts in some Storm Ravens, and he re- tried to he convinced us to use a special formation, even though this because it was seventh edition, everyone was using formations, and we we're like it's probably not valid, but okay, do do that 
because that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't count on the fact that you have to still make a reserve roll of what is it a four up for turn two, four um, up for turn two, yeah. and then a three up. Uh, but then we had, um, I think it was Richard had a officer of the fleet, which gives you minus one yep. to your reserve rolls. Um, and basically, the guys' models didn't come on till turn three, I think it was, or maybe even turn four. Yeah. So he basically sat out half the day because he couldn't do anything. Oh, he was so salty as well. And it was like that thing where, like, and the thing is, credit where credit's due, I would have been salty as well in that situation because he had talked for ages at the start of setup, like, how this is going to play out and, and destroy us. Because like, they're going to fly on the board. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was that thing where it's like, you've got a 2,000-point army that you put together. You've built it around this formation, which means everything of yours is in reserve until turn two. And for some reason, you haven't taken a comms relay, or your elder player hasn't taken an altark, or you haven't taken any of the other things that are going to affect your ability to re-roll or buff the ability to come in from reserves. So he hadn't done anything. Uh, And I appreciate for people playing 8th edition, this might seem like a mad foreign concept anyway. So if you haven't played 7th and 6th edition, the ruling was... I believe in 7th edition it was always a free plus, but... I'm getting off my point. The rule was you couldn't come in turn one, which, to be fair, is in line with the current reserve rules now, but not if you play open or narrative. But if you play match play, that's how that works. Um, So you couldn't come in turn one. And on turn two, rather than just saying, I definitely come in, you had to roll a D6. And on a free plus, I think, in seventh edition, I raised the tone of my voice to indicate that I didn't know entirely there. But I'm not entirely sure. It was either a it was either a four up, and the next turn was a three up, and then it's automatic afterwards, yeah, or so, it was always a three up. I can't quite remember. Yeah, so from bow round four onwards, it was automatic. But mm. for the first for the first bow round, no. Second and third, yes. But I believe it was either on a four plus or a three plus. But yeah, Richie quite randomly in his uh, army list that we brought along had an officer of the fleet uh, because we thought, well, you know. You know, neutralizing some people's reserves options is really powerful. So we'll have that in the army list and see what happens. Uh, and yeah, lo and behold, we played some lad who his entire army relied on it, uh, which was pretty awful. But what, what, what was even worse is so he when he did get to bring his army on, it sort of flew on, and then he had to effectively kind of deep strike his dreadnoughts from the moving flyers so you, you this is when back in the day when you had a scatter dice so the models could move randomly and obviously by this point a lot of our army was in their deployment zone yeah. so he dropped them out and then it basically they scattered off the board and were automatically destroyed <laughs> yeah he didn't he didn't have a good day that kid um no. who probably oh, now so. is, a, is a strapping young lad because that was uh, the best part of oof, Six? No, not six. Five years ago? Four or five years ago, because it was when I I was probably only back in the hobby for like maybe two years, I think. So, yeah, Mm. about then. Um, Yeah. Um, So, should we start speculating about the current apocalypse? My Yeah, I was going to say, I think my thing is, as I say, the only thing I think with apocalypse is it needs a GM. So, I think they need a GM system for sure. Um, I think they need um, it, it. They've already. Well, actually, I won't steal anyone else's thunder. I already did my thing. So come on, Phil, tell me what you speculated on the case of. In fact, no, Joe, come on now. What do you reckon the uh, will have? I reckon 
that there'll be some like the shooting phase will be more like epic. Uh, oh, you, you've stolen exactly what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> but but on, I agree with you. It it's basically going to be epic, but played with 40k models. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so in epic, a unit of space marines used to fire one dice at, a, at another unit, uh. and then, and then if you hit and wound, you removed that one unit that you fired at. Um, and because um, everything has got uh, everything's on movement trays now for, for Apocalypse by the looks of it mm. so I think that might kind of work on a similar system um, or they might just be there just to speed movement up because if each player's if someone brings like two three thousand points of orc boys mm. it's going to be a long day do you think do you think that the likely outcome is something like shoot at and remove these units or do you think that they're going to go for more of a uh, referencing a game called kings of war from mantic here but uh, yeah more of a kings of war system where your unit has a volume of wounds so you don't have to remove models but you just remove the movement tray i.e you can have a movement tray that's made up of that unit and then depending on how many wounds it takes it loses some of its effectiveness i suppose I think you'll still probably end up removing models just because they would effectively act as the wounds. Mm. I think there'll still be a nuance of you'll probably end up removing models because it'd be a bit weird if uh, you had 10 models on a movement tray, but actually there's only two of them left because you you decimated the the unit. Yeah, the way they do it in Kings of War is it's all about kind of talking about the damage that that unit has sustained. So it's more about the idea that when they're at their full capacity, they're battle ready and they're, you know, they're ready to go. But then, as you do damage to them, they become less effective because it's sort of in the same way as the damage system works on uh, for the tank. on tanks and super heavies. And stuff. Yeah, I could I could see it being like that, where you, like I said, for tanks, you've got three levels, you know, full health, like halfway, and then you know, rock bottom just before you're killed, and that's how you have your efficiency for your units. Because yeah. what they do say is you can play it in the same amount of time as you can play regular 40k. So wow. you're talking two to three hours, depending on how quick you are, which is. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's interesting though that, isn't it? Because then does that become a weird thing that I don't know. When you sort of say stuff like that, I I would want it to take longer than a, ge- a regular game of forty k in a way. I, you yeah. know, I think I don't know. It's an interesting know, position. Thing is though, like we're at a stage now where a model is available to each army. Like you're not so like you're not going to have that much on the table. Like a knight army is still only going to be. Ten models. Well, I suppose the 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 question is there though is, do they adjust the points uh, to entirely to represent this entirely different game system? Well, it could it could be done completely differently because it does say it's a brand new system, so it might not plug into forty k at all. It might be like I said, like almost epic at 40k scale where it's completely different. Because I'm pretty sure in the video there's a bunch of non-D6 dice mm. going crazy. There's like D10s and D8s, a bit like uh, uh, all the other games, like oh God, um, Shadespire or uh, Blackstone Fortress, for example. I think they're sort of probably going to embrace these other dice to represent you know, different things, different strengths. 
for example. So it might be nothing like 40k. It might have completely different points values, for example. Well, Joe, will you be painting up 15,000 points of Necrons for this one then? Oh, God, no. Although I am disturbingly... Um, like my, my, my Chaos Army is reaching um, untold points. I don't even know how many points I've already got at the moment. Um, I've only fully painted uh, seven models. <laughs> wow, there you go. You, you're approaching it the way I do. Yeah. Um, if I play it, I will I will probably never field more than 3,000 points realistically. Mm. And, you've, and you've got to think that, like, whenever we've played game, like, games in your garage, for instance. Yes. And it's 2v2 or 3v3. Mm. We'll play for about four hours and only get, like, two turns in. Because yeah. everyone's talking in, or we decide an hour in that we're going to go and get fish and chips for lunch yep. or dinner. And and it all just kind of gets forgotten about. <laughs> well, the game's secondary to actually hanging out, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's the excuse for Gavin. Um, yeah. But yeah, in closing, I suppose, on the topic of Apocalypse, uh, I guess, how interested are you in playing this, Phil? Oh, uh, yeah, I'd ha- it's not something I'll probably buy because I've got to the stage where my shelves of uh, maximum capacity, um, if, if, for example, you're going to buy it and we're going to play it, I'm all for it. Uh, I'd be interested to see more about what it's like. Um, I'm sure it's something we're, you know, potentially we'll have a game at Warhammer World if there's a specific 40k apocalypse event, for example. I'll definitely be- give it a go. I mean, I've got loads of super heavy tanks I can I, I can rock a large tank force, uh, and f- for for a change, forego going lots of infantry. So mm. I'll be quite happy with that. Would you not buy it for the uh, the clear plastic movement trays alone? Well, actually, that's really tempting because I've got some movement trays from Element Games, and they're pretty good. Um, but I, you have to do a lot of work to get them to you know you got to assemble them and paint them and glue down magnets and stuff mm. it'll be interesting to see how these work they look really nice from the video it'd be interesting to know if they're like magnetizable or if they work without magnets because actually if you don't have magnets they pop out really easily if you're moving them around for example and um, i'm pretty sure they'd be selling them separately so i'll probably be picking them up but i hopefully won't have to buy the box set to get it magnets always with the magnets um, anyway, yeah, no, I think um, the movement trays are definitely a win. I also enjoy the fact that uh, your answer was, no, nah, I won't bother buying it, because you will, Dan, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that buys the boxes. I'm the one, yeah, exactly, you see, that's the thing. You know, I'm, don't I'm worry. the one that buys the specialist games. Ah, that's... true, true. There you go. There you are. Um, maybe someone out there would like to sponsor us to do an unboxing for it, though, right? And then we'll get it for free, surely. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. That's how it works. Um, just say it, and you know, before you know it, the offers will be flooding in. Um, Joe, <laughs> what's your opinion on Apocalypse? Um, I think that we'll probably play it. Yeah. Um, I can see like like clubs. There's a lot of clubs that do like a Sunday open day worth of gaming. Uh, I imagine a lot of them will be just running Apocalypse days, or be like, just come down. We've got a bunch of tables wedged together um, and we could play some apocalypse uh, but I think like, for us we were talking about doing a vigilance campaign 
or getting the campaign box set thing that they did. Yep. The Urban um, Conquest one. The Urban Conquest one. So, like, like, Apocalypse, like, back in the day, was always reserved as the final game. Like, the end game, as it were. Mm. Um, so when all the, that you have the big final battle. So in, in like, Vigilus and Blaze, once we get through to the, the second book, that would be the, the Apocalypse game where Abaddon and, and Calgar meet in the middle. It's kind true. of thing. It's yeah. true. Just how Calgar met with uh, some traitor guardsmen on, uh, on, we- yeah. on Tuesday night when I was playing Richie. And he punched them all! Calgar. Um, he is very good at punching everything. He's he's surprising actually. I was uh, I, I'm not was never expecting him to be as good as he actually is, which is quite terrifying. Yeah, it's it's almost hilarious how good he is. That's yeah. that's like a character series that we could do in the future. Mm. I think every week we just choose a random character and discuss how mad they are. That's true. Well, we could definitely incorporate that, but let's not talk about those sorts of uh, ideas because then. You know, or at least not now, because then we'll record it and put it out there, and people will assume we're doing it, and then be disappointed yeah. when we're not. So let's not let's not give them any ideas, eh? Um, I mean, in closing, on my side of things, on the apocalypse, uh, I think uh, it's fine. I'll pick up the rules because I am a glutton for punishment, uh, or rather, my wallet is, I suppose. But um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll pick up the rules and check them out and see what it has to offer. Um, I doubt I'll ever get around to playing it uh, because I've bought every version of Apocalypse that has ever been produced uh, and as I said at the start, never played it um, so yeah, it's just add it to all those Kill Team books that are getting loads of use at the moment uh, anyway so, uh, moving on from the wondrous world of Apocalypse let's move on now to the second of the new stories, which is uh, there is new exclusive event miniatures, but what is actually quite interesting is obviously there's a fabulous new Primaris Lieutenant, which is uh, always really, really cool. But I think the thing that's actually quite interesting is there is a new grey for a Terminator sculpt doing the uh, doing the rounds on the internet. So Games Workshop is making a Space Marine model that isn't a Primaris Marine for the first time in a little while, or isn't it? What do you reckon, guys? What does this lovely-looking librarian say to you? Uh, it's a second HQ choice for the uh, Spanish Moon Hero range. Is that what you think it is, or that's what you know it is? That's what I think it's going to be. So you think yeah. this will be uh, something for the Space Marine Hero range for the Blood Angel release that they've done? Yeah. Well, but surely it's... it would have to be for Season 3 of the Hero range, because they've already done two. Yeah. Those are the only two plastics that are coming out that are Space Marine size. But here it says, this awesome Space Marine librarian will be available at a number of events. So it can't be part of the Heroes range, can it? Because if it was part of the Heroes range, you could get it in a blind box. But here it's only available via going to events, Joe. Well, I will shut my sizable cake hole then. Well, exactly. You get back in your box, you, with your silly mad ideas. Um, Still, though, I think genuinely it's actually really interesting to see that, um, you know, actually now Games Workshop are working on new sculpts, albeit event-exclusive ones, so this obviously isn't going out into mass circulation, but could this potentially be some type of bigger 
better Primaris uh, librarian Terminator, or will it actually be an old school Terminator? I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Phil? Well, this is what I was going to ask. Um, how do we know it's not a Primaris librarian, or is it because the Primaris librarians have a very distinct look to them? Well, it's in more, comparison to the regular ones. It's more that Terminator plate hasn't ever been expressed as being something that Primaris oh, the- can fit into. Hmm. Well, that is true. And if you read what they say, they just say it's a Space Marine librarian. So they don't specific. I mean, it looks like it's Terminator armor, but they don't say it is. So it could just be a Mark Ten something or other that is a bit like the Gravis, but not quite. It's another variant of Mark Ten. Oh, exactly. You look at the back of it, and rather than having those square vents, it's got circle ones, and that makes all the difference. Um, I mean, that's quite clearly a Terminator librarian. I think the thing is, I think that's interesting is, is there's been a lot of speculation doing the rounds uh, from different places, talking about the death of the old school Space Marine uh, armor type and the old school Space Marine stuff. Even we've kind of uh, circulated that possibility. <laughs> I know I... I mean, you have, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I have. I think Joe has as well. You've supported me in these uh, in these claims, right, Joe? Uh, I have, uh, indeed. I'd quite like to see the possibility that they spin the story that all old Space Marines are now essentially just veterans. Mm. Uh, mm. And they're being moved over, because there's so little of them, um, to Terminator armour, because that's the most survivable armour they have now. I um, see. And like with the Chaos line... We could potentially see a re-sculpt of Terminator armor. I mean, mm-hmm. that would obviously be really, really cool if, um, obviously, this guy is rescaled and uh, redone to look more, uh, you know, larger and so on. The the thing that was really interesting to me, and I don't know if anyone else has mentioned it, so I'm assuming have either of you guys got the image of this Terminator sculpt in front of you right now? Yeah, yeah. Look at its face. No. Joe, you get this image up, because you're going to need this for the purposes of this conversation. I'll give you a Hang few on. moments. I'm going to do some kind of clever transition for this, Joe, so you've got that. Two hours later. So through the majesty of editing, Joe now has seen or has the image of the Terminator in front of him. So I was going to make my point to the lads. So look at the face of that Terminator, guys. Uh-huh. See what you see there. Now look at this image. What do you see? <laughs> Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump, in it? They've only gone and made a librarian with Donald Trump's face. Jack and he's going to build a space wall. Oh, a space wall. <laughs> yeah, the brand new <laughs> chapter, the space walls. <laughs> yeah, to keep out the space Mexican. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Wouldn't that be really cool as well, though, as a colour scheme? You could have the Mexican flags as the le- legs... The a big grey line in the middle, and then the American flag above it. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then the head could be Canada, I suppose. <laughs> I have to say, I actually think he looks more like Davros. Davros, the Donald Trump. I don't know, man. That is a very Donald Trump face. Well, he, he, he's too wrinkly. Whereas Davros <laughs> has got the wrinkles and the and, and the mouth. I mean, he's obviously missing the eye, but you well, know, indeed, indeed. looks pretty close. 
That being said, though, right, with the Davros thing, are you saying that Davros looks more like Donald Trump? Or no, no, the... Davros looks more like the librarian. Oh, I see. It's definitely got a Trump about him, though. I don't know. It's like the the sharp nose, the sort of flappy mouth that he's got going no, on. No, yeah, I can see that. The it's tired something... jowls that he's got going on. It's totally Trump, mate. I can, it just it, it can't be a coincidence. The, uh, the sculptor was obviously watching a lot of CNN at the time. And Quite got distracted. So I don't know if anyone else has brought that to anyone's attention, but that Terminator has got Donald Trump's face. 100%. So, Termi Trump. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, you know, the idea that Donald Trump would go on living on, protecting us all from, uh, you know, the Xenos threats and uh, evil influences of chaos. I think this is... The uh, illegal aliens. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he's, um, he's helped us all there. Um, anyway, there you go. So that was... Um, an interesting debate around uh, the new models. I mean, obviously, there's a new Primaris librarian, uh, not librarian, lieutenant that people have uh, seen and already uh, started to have out in circulation. I'm just interested. I think I think it's a good moment and a good sign uh, that we're now seeing uh, a couple more sculpts for some of the older style uh, armor sets. And even if it is an event exclusive, I'm hopeful that we'll start to see more of a mixture of things especially with the chaos space marine release that's just happened right the new terminator kits they've done the new powered armored regular uh you know chaos space marines they've done so maybe just maybe this could be the sign of positive things to come what do you reckon gents quite likely um i mean yeah i I won't say anymore because it will just go into a massive conversation about primaris versus regular space marines that's true that's true I'm, i'm glad they're still doing it though exactly it does look nice um, I'm and... going to go into it. I'm going to ruin it for everyone. But, <laughs> but, but um, I think um, what they're, they're trying to do with Space Marines is kind of move them into the future. I still think they're going to ditch oldie Marines. Um, so, like, Chaos are going to keep the old Marine type um, and have all the regal look and all the um, the new, like, Loyal space means are going to be total geardos in all their their cool spangled new armor. Mm. Pimping out. Well, there we go. Um, there we go. I just think it's nice. So that's that. Uh, now, moving on to the next of the news topics, let's talk for a moment about the lovely new models of Slanesh. Now, obviously, this is both Age of Sigmar and uh, Warhammer 40,000 combined. Uh, but nonetheless, it's incredibly positive to see some absolutely awesome new sculpts for the long dormant uh, and seemingly unloved faction of Slanesh. Um, so yeah, so in the reveal, they put out uh, images of the Keeper of Secrets, so the new Keeper of Secrets. Uh, they also revealed a bunch of new things which may or may not make their way into uh, Warhammer 40,000. It's difficult to know for sure because... Um, a lot of this has obviously been geared towards the new Age of Sigmar release and as we've seen with Zench and with uh, Blades of Corn, there's always these kind of human-esque models that are for Age of Sigmar, so the Blades of Corn or the Gore Chosen or whatever they were actually called uh, as well as, uh, I can't even remember what the Zench ones were called, they were like the Acolytes or something The Zangors No, well the Zangors well, yeah, actually, yeah, the tanks, yeah, they were, but they were the human ones with like the beaky helmets, weren't they? Oh, they were acolytes of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, not entirely sure what 
from this will make its way into 40k, but regardless, it's pretty reasonable to assume the Keeper of Secrets uh, will be going in. So, yeah, Phil, tell us what you think of this beautiful new range of uh, Slanesh monsters. Well, I'm finally glad that my long-standing theory has finally come to fruition. And that was... theory? I've been saying it for the last couple of years, that basically every year they're doing a Chaos God, and Mm. that there's some Age of Sigma stuff, and there's a Chaos Marine faction normally associated uh, with it as well. Um, So first of all, it started off with uh, Korn back in the end of End Times. Mm. Um, so that was actually the smallest release, but you got the new Bloodthirster, and I think Scarbrand as well, and a couple of um, Chaos models, predominantly for Age of Sigma, though. And then you got um, Zinch and the Thousand Suns, uh, and then last year we had Nurgle and Death Guard. And then back in our very early episodes, I was speculating that in Blackstone Fortress that you would get um, Emperor's Children, and it would all be Slanesh, and I was completely wrong. But now, Slanesh are finally here. I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume that as night follows day, as it were, that we're probably going to see an Empress Children army very soon. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with that faction as well. Not that I want to get too much into the speculating of what's to come, but um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how all that comes together, if and when it does. But yeah, I mean, what's your opinions of these uh, the models themselves? I mean, the Keeper of Secrets. What what is it? Everything you expected from it? What were you What were you thinking when you uh, when you imagined what this could possibly be versus what you're seeing here? Well, do you know, I didn't really give it much thought because um, the current 40k one is a bit rubbish. The uh, Forge World one is obviously fantastic, and this is like a really good sort of compromise of. Uh, something new and a bit different, and it's not the classic, like, ten boobs Slanesh model, which is sort of what everyone associates with Slanesh. And I like the fact that it sort of has got rid of all the naysayers, because everyone was like, Slanesh is too adult for Games Workshop, they're getting rid of it, Uh, and actually they're not. But what they've done is they've sort of toned down some of it and upped it. It's got a really good, like, androgynous look to it. Mm. Uh, um, and they sort of up, up that fact, and it's very kind of decadent and sort of uh, yeah. It actually reminds me of uh, the film Three Hundred, like the the Persians in that that kind of mm. exquisite, beautiful but deadly in the same manner. And yeah. also anything with a rough, I love a rough. Uh, and actually, some of these models they they sort of actually hark to the Harlequins mm. and that kind of elder vibe. So I, I do like it all. Um, yeah, so so far from what I've seen, all pretty positive. I really Amazing. like it. Joe, what's your opinion on the lovely new... Well, let's talk about the Keeper of Secrets to begin with. What, what What's your thoughts and feelings on that? I think it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful model. Mm. Um, I think um, the head of Games Workshops walked into the designer's studio and he's like, I've got an idea for Snesh. Because you know that tent scene from 300... And designer's like, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> so what, she, he, the designers combined that weird hunchback dude from 300 with the things around him? Yeah, he's taken all the weird sexy ladies and he's gone uh, Xerxes and squished them together and then made this guy. 
Well, it's got um, a slight sort of. Uh, it's got a very sort of hunched back as well, though, doesn't it? You know, yeah. to an extent with the extra arms. So yeah, it sort of mm. incorporated all the elements. All it needs is a poorly fitting helmet and the inability to lift a shield above his head, and he's there. Yeah, but he he's might... perfect. Exactly. They've taken on a lot of like the the Horus Heresy esque emperor's children ethos about it, where like to them. Sunesh represents perfection as mm. well as excess. So, like, a lot of that is represented in the, the new Demon Prince model, who's just this giant guy with a rack on his back with mm. the demon metal on it. And, like, and if, like, and that, I think that's perfect to show off what a follower of Sunesh would want. So, there's a guy. He likes to he likes to get a little thumb and thumb in, and he wants to be a bit of, of a ladies' man. And Sinesh is like, "I'm gonna make you a demon prince." And he's like, "And he's like, what do you want?" He's like, "I want to be pretty. I want to be twelve foot tall, ripped, and pretty." Mm. And he's like, "Cool, that's fine." And he's like, "But I don't want no tentacles because that's weird." Well, it's in, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think again, the fact that they've kind of come out and said that this is a demon prince and what a demon prince looks like within the ranks of Slanesh is incredible because it's such a tonal change because we've been so used to seeing demon princes represented as those big hulking kind of like muscular, uh, I don't want to use the term traditional demon. I think traditional demon only really applies in the sense that I'm so used to seeing that kind of, depiction of a demon within Warhammer 40,000 it's become traditional but I think that's the thing this is massively divorced from from that in the sense that you know just being yeah this this big dude is something very very different and and but yet works so incredibly well I just think yeah without laboring the point I just think they've absolutely hit the nail on the head I think this is a really really potentially incredible range of uh <clears throat> of models and I think definitely very exciting to see what these guys represent and what will actually cross over into 40k and what those rules will be like I suppose um, if we were to speculate on rules what do you reckon a Keeper of Secrets will have going for it it's going to be at least movement 12 or 14 it's going to be fast mm. Um it's going to have a lot of attacks. Like, it'll have like six attacks base, but I reckon it will have abilities to give it more. Um, but it's not going to be able to take a hit. It's going to be very soft and squishy, I think. I think the thing that's going to be interesting as well, this is the first uh, greater demon uh, to not have a wingspan. Um, so obviously yeah. Scarbrand does have wings but doesn't because obviously they've been sort of torn up and he can't use them so this is going to be the first demon prince model not demon prince sorry the first of the great demon models oh no not the first actually of course not the 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 nurgle guy doesn't have it um sorry i'll completely he's a he's a slow tank though isn't he Mm. his his ability to take hits and just plod forward casting psychic powers Mm. whereas like sunesh demons thing is but they, they get to uh, move and advance and still charge. Yes, of course. 
So yeah, these guys are going to attack be... first as well, don't they? Yeah, attack like, first and combat. Don't charge, yeah. It's going to be a very glass hammer army, I think. You've got to go in and hit hard and not mess it up. Because I think this one of these armies, that the moment something goes wrong, it's just going to fall apart. I think it's going to be interesting as well, though, to see what sort of psychic powers they give uh, the Keeper of Secrets, what kind of uh, options uh, they get, as well as, you know, just things like what their movement characteristic characteristic will be, uh, how it actually performs in combat, uh, what other little nuanced rules are you going to get to really make it sort of stand out? Because I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? When you're playing a... Uh, like you said, when you're playing a great demon of Nurgle, when you're playing the um, the great unclean one, he's obviously built around kind of tanking up loads of hits, but ultimately acts like a force multiplier. He he buffs and helps out things around him to a certain extent. Um, and then obviously the the great demons of Corn, the the bloodthirsters are all about hurling themselves into battle and just smashing everything to pieces. The um, Lord of Change, the, the the Great Demon of Zench, is very much a very psychic heavy unit, and it obviously has the the bird wings and the flight to try and be more evasive, more than being kind of aggressive, but uses lots of like tricky spells and things. Um, so the Slanesh one is it's kind of yeah, it's a very different archetype. It's it's not one of the sort of free typical things. So I think it's going to be very tricky. I think it's going to probably have some interesting spells that are going to stop you from targeting it um, beyond, um, you know, I, I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the few, you know, 18, 16 wound monsters that you can't target unless they're the closest thing, um, which yeah. would be really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just madly excited to see what this will potentially represent and what potential incredible things could be in store for the potential release of the Empress Children and what else comes along with this one. So yeah, there you go. Will uh, either of you two gents be likely to pick up a Lord of... Uh, sorry, not a Lord of Change. A Keeper of Secrets. Uh, I think there's actually quite a high possibility that I'm going to make a Supreme Command detachment. Oh yeah. And force the Nash Demons anyway. Mm. Um, to go with my Chaos. So he could potentially be in there. Um because I want to, I want to use their abilities with my demon engines. Mm. Um, because having demon engines that can move, advance, shoot, and charge is pretty big. No, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Phil, uh, that would be complete heresy for me to go on. So wait for me. <laughs> it's a bit too much of an ab human for your creaky ways, is it, Phil? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm I'm all Imperium at the moment, so unfortunately, I won't be getting it. So could you not see any potential conversion things for like your kill team and your Inquisition? Because you're a big what, fan of those. Having a, an absolutely giant demon model, <laughs> kill team. That'd be a hell of a conversion, Phil. <laughs> you could use the little ones, the little demon people. Well, yeah, so so the rough. I would happily pick up. Although I, I've done a, um, I've done a c- conversion where I've already made a rough out of green stuff, which is a bit fiddly. But um, yeah, I'd quite happily be buy- buying a couple of models almost just for those spare bits because some of the detail on them, such as the mask, 
like kind of jestery guys pretty cool and like i said the roughs are really awesome yeah. uh, uh, i think if anything i'll just be going to like bit sites or um hitting up a few people that maybe have spares of stuff rather than actually buying the models straight up because it's a bit too expensive just for like just a few components now that makes sense all right cool there you go new slanish which is super exciting as i think we all agreed so uh Let's move on now to uh, our last two stories. So the uh, the, the penultimate story that we will be uh, talking about today is the changes uh, to the ITC faction rules. So for anyone uh, listening who isn't aware, ITC is now a pretty broadly accepted and widely used uh, tournament structure uh, that allows uh, people all around the world to compete in games of Warhammer 40,000 competitively and log and, uh, you know, document their scores and ultimately fight to become the overall Warhammer 40,000 champion, which is uh, all pretty exciting. Also available, obviously, for AOS as well, I believe, ITC, but predominantly, I believe, it started out life in, a, in Warhammer 40,000 uh, particularly. But nonetheless, ITC, uh, prior to uh, an update that took place a couple weeks ago now, um, were basically running uh, alongside determining the overall best at Warhammer 40,000, were also determining who the best in faction was. So if you're Phil, for example, uh, and you only ever play Krieg, the Death Corps of Krieg being Phil's one true and possibly only real love in life. Right, Phil? That's true, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but nonetheless, so Phil, being a Death Corps of Krieg man through and through, would play in the ITC, and he would win plenty of games and try his utmost best, uh, but at the end of it all, he would discover that he's not the best Krieg player in the world because some guy with 600 points of Krieg and 400 points of Imperial Knights and... 400 points of Space Marines is counted as a Krieg player. So poor old Phil, who takes 100% of his army as Krieg, is being undone. Well, just to correct you, it would only be Astra Militarum, because Krieg, even though it has its own sort of index, is still treated as a regiment. So it's just Astra Militarum, it wouldn't be Krieg. Which is something I would personally see like to get changed because you know it should be treated like Blood Angels and Space Wolves, but but currently, yeah, it would just be Astra Militarum. But your point completely stands. Well, there you go, there you go. You just can't let me have anything, can you, Phil? Not today. Not today. today. There's no easy wins for old Dan today. Uh, All right. Well, nonetheless, Phil would be the Astra Militarum player. And then I would say all the words I said, but replace Krieg or Death Corps of Krieg with Astra Militarum. Uh, nonetheless, at the end of it all, Phil would discover he's not the best Astra Militarum player because someone who used a mix of Space Marines, Imperial Knights, and Death Corps of Krieg, sorry, Astra Militarum, would have beaten him to it. But now, the good people of the ITC have decided that in order to win the best Astra Militarum player, or the best Orc player, or the best Necron, or the best Tau, or the best... Eldari, Craftworld Eldari, whatever it happens to be, your army must be 100% comprised, made up of, containing the aforementioned, whatever it happened to be, faction. So in this case, Astra Militarum Krieg people. Um, what is your opinion on that, Joe? What do you reckon? I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, I think 
like there's a lot of people out there like myself I'm a bit of a purist as well I like I think that sometimes a codex should be able to stand up on its own and doesn't need help from from anyone else you know um, so when you go into an event and you're running like a pure death watch army like I am but there's someone who's like oh I can't win with death watch so I'm going to put in a Castellan and a whole bunch of guard, uh, but I'm still going to class it as Death Watch because because they're niche and it's all hipster mm. to run like that. So um, I think people who are trying to fight the hard fight, as it were, should be rewarded for for doing so. Um, and those people who are running like the mixed faction um, and they do want to be the best competitive player, as it were. Um, they still get the chance of winning best Imperium. It's not like they're move, they're lo- they're losing out. Mm. It's just that it means that like the Space Wolf players or the I don't know the sisters the sisters of Silence players um, get a look in. You know, I mean, it's going to be a heck of an uphill slog to become the best sisters of Silence player, right? I mean, I, and, uh... I believe sisters is uh, counted as agents of Imperium, so along with. Uh, assassins and Inquisition. Mm. That's how they yeah. dealt with that one because they're, they're all too niche to really be a faction in the rain, right? Yeah, but, um, assassins are a weird one because they're not include. So uh, bringing in stuff that you summon in doesn't affect your faction. Mm. So if you if you're in a, like a like a Death Watch player like me, you can use that stratagem and pay the eighty five points to have an assassin in your army. Do but we know that for that, sure? That's 100% yeah, confirmed it's, within the ITC, it's 100%, is it? It's 100% confirmed because that assassin is not part of your army list to begin with. Mm. You have an allotted pool and that assassin then becomes activated within your army when you get to the table. Ah, so yeah, they, they basically yeah. no. Well, they they have called it out. Like, so in the post that they did about it, they one of the FAQ questions was, "But what about assassins?" And they basically said, "We go off your army list." So because it's something that's summoned on the table, it doesn't count because your army list is still a hundred percent, you know, Imperium of whatever it is, yeah. such as God. No, and mean, the same thing with demon, like chaos demons within a chaos space marine army. Mm. So, if you're a Chaos Space Marine player and you've like put aside say 500 points, um, you're still a Chaos Space Marine player um, because you're summoning in a random Chaos Demon unit mm. um, during your games. And the only other exception they've done is if you're an Admech uh, player, you're allowed one knight because it is allowed in your codex, but they don't want people taking, say, four knights, but being counted as uh, admech. So instead you can have one and still be counted as being admech. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, the the Imperial Knights are included within the admech book. It's, it, did they clarify if it had to be Imperial Knights that are in the... Um... Mechanica's book, or can you still take a Castellan? Or you, you no. So you can take one Imperial Knight. It can be any kind, and ironically, it doesn't need to be an Admech Knight household. It can still be an Imperium Knight because that's always been the quirk of uh, that book. Like you could always do that. So that's super weird, because yeah, because the well, you say that because if you take the Adeptus Mechanica's book 
as the book it is. It includes the Night Warden, the Night Paladin, the Night Errant, and the Night Gallant, um, and the Night Crusader. So those yeah, five I, I would assume it's been FAQ'd since then to allow you to take the other knights as well. Oh, okay, fine. Because you can still get access to then, the stratagems and the warlord traits. No, and, so, sorry, household traits. So they are able to use Imperial Knight stratagems, even though there are Imperial Knight stratagems, well, Admech Imperial Knight stratagems in the Admech book. I'm pretty sure, but so, not 100%. Well, anyway... The point is, I actually think it's the right move. I think it was... I mean, look, I'm not someone who is a purist player in, in, in any real sense of the word. I've, I've always mixed stuff up when it came to, uh, you know, competitive play because if it needs to be mixed up to produce a better, more competitive army, I will take advantage of that rule as much as possible. I don't necessarily like that it's like that. I think um, I've said on many occasions, I think the allied matrix and system that they introduced in... Sixth edition is one of the kind of uh, things that's really, really unhinged the game and made it a lot more random and a lot more, uh, well, potentially less balanced. Because I think, you know, back in fifth or fourth or third edition, where you didn't have these allies matrixes that, that meant that you could take mixtures of, of, of units, you never could compensate for your, your weaknesses. You had to play around them. And I always felt that that was more kind of flavoursome as a, as a game system. So if you are someone who's who's fighting the good fight and struggling to to get your wins with a with a less competitive fa- faction, I think that change is, is is a really good one and something that, you know, I'm I'm surprised in a way it took them up till now to get around to doing it, but then I'm not in the sense that ITC has been this growing, incredible kind of element within the the 40k hobby that that's really now hitting a really good saturation point where lots of people really care about it passionately. Um, so I'm not surprised that people are really kind of keen to, to have a more fair playing field to get that best in faction award. So yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff all around. I'd say. I was going to say they, I'm pretty sure the ITC guys sort of said that they didn't ever really see it as being an issue and they were sort of surprised that everyone was so passionate about it, but they're sort of glad that they are because it was done on a vote and there was something like 98% of people uh, voted in favour of it. So overwhelmingly positive about it. Mm, absolutely. So now this is your time, Phil. You could become one of the best Astra Militarum players. Uh, unlikely, because unfortunately the Creed Codex, I personally don't believe is as competitive as a pure Astra Militarum Codex. Uh, uh, but who knows? I would have a good chance. There you uh, go. There you go. Doing uh, okay. Joe, do you think you'll be the best Deathwatch player? Um, I imagine far from it. Because <laughs> I'm, I, A, I don't do enough ITZ events for it mm. to even matter. But I, I'm one of those people that I can I can talk the theory and I can write a semi decent list, but um, as I showed at the last tournament we went to, um, I get to the table, have an enormous brain fart, and then and then lose horribly. So <laughs> you do often suffer from poo brain, don't you, Joe? I do, I do. I I think I um, the last event we went to. I had the best intentions. I was like, I'm going to go to bed early. And then the moment my head hit the pillow, my brain was like, let's discuss every life decision you've made since the age of 
then it's like <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not working out. That is and the weirdest you... thing, isn't it, about you know putting your head down on the pillow and starting to question your life decisions. It's never it never leads anywhere good, and yet you know you know both physically and metaphorically you're going nowhere, right? Yeah, and then you go to the and then you get to the event in the morning, and your your brain is like a shriveled up prune, and you're like, oh god, I can't make decisions today. <laughs> Bad. Well, the other problem is, even if you are taking a monofaction army, your opponents aren't necessarily taking monofaction. They're still able to run mixed Imperium, for example. So actually trying to win a game as a monofaction, even though you've got a better chance of winning the best infaction award, you've still got to then compete against people that are doing suit. So it's actually sort of going to be harder to win games, but when you do, it's going to allow you to get closer to winning the best infaction award. And I think it'll be really interesting to see that actually maybe it'll encourage more people to go monofaction rather than take suit, so you could potentially see a light shifting in the meta uh, if more people are willing to do that. And I also think in a general uh, scorekeeping point of view in terms of obviously Games Workshop looks at, you know, top 10 lists for big tournaments. And if they they were seeing, oh, Deathwatch won a tournament or Space Marines won a tournament, but it wasn't really Space Marines. It was Space Marines plus Knights and Guard. Actually, now those scores are going to be much more accurately reflected, which can have a knock-on effect to how the game gets balanced overall in terms of faction performance. So I think that would all be really like positive things that are going to happen down the line. It's all good stuff all around when it comes to that stuff. And uh, Joe, you've made nothing but the best life decisions, mate. You're, uh, you're an inspiration to us all. Well, yeah. Yeah. There you go. I hope so. I I will. It will be a a tearless night tonight. (laughs) Um, Oh god! On on an army side of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think you you should get a bonus for running a pure army. Well, that sounds mad. Like if you're playing a pure, let's say. Uh, salamanders list mm. like you should get a bonus for your entire army being from that one chapter like it's like you should be given a chapter tactic for being for, for having an army that's I just, know, but just like, that one chapter even if it's like extra command points or something because there's still people that go I'm going to run a detachment of like ultramarines mm. with, so I can take Gilliman and I'm going to take loads of aggressors, and then let's assume that they've had a brain hemorrhage and taken loads of imperial fists for backline guns. Yep. Um, and then they could take crimson fists on top, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That army's going to function a lot better um, than just running mono salamanders, for instance. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I think maybe getting a few extra little perks on top just to make you compete, if that makes sense. Well, that was my point. Like, you should only get your chapter tactics if you're only running that that chapter as a mono chapter, for example. I mean, that is probably a conversation for another time. But nonetheless, I agree with you 100%. I think there should be more incentive or more means by which to kind of actually make the game sort of have rules that 
benefit mono factions more. I think it is very bizarre in a way because from the outset of eighth edition, the idea was is that they wanted to get away from these bizarre kind of mixtures of very specific type of things partnering up with very specific sorts of things. And don't get me wrong, we're nowhere close to the you know librarious conclave of white scars surrounded by. Uh, cyber wolves uh, mounted on, uh, or rather, sorry, the iron priests with riding a cyber wolf surrounded by sort of whatever it was. It was just crazy before it had gone way too far. But you know, we're not massively different at the moment. You know, it's all here's my two blood angel captains and a mephiston and a knight, and then a group of you know complementary guardsmen. Way it's like yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, no, I think overall it's just a good, reassuring thing, and potentially illustrates, uh, you know, future uh, outcomes. So yeah, all good there. So yeah, I reckon that wraps up news for this week. Thank you very much, guys. Let's move on now to the next topic. Woo! And welcome back, everyone. In this segment of the podcast, we're now going to talk about Chaos Space Marines, as well as, obviously, the new content from the Vigilist book that came out a couple of weeks ago now. Obviously, we're a bit late to the party. Uh, As is somewhat standard with these processes, we're not necessarily going to give you a comprehensive insight into every aspect of the rules around the new codexes, because we don't tend to be very good at doing that stuff. Lots of little details tend to get lost in translation so the way we like to approach these things is each of us picks uh one solitary thing maybe bolt in a little bit of extra flavor by talking about a few things around it but ultimately pick one thing from the books that we're really really interested in that we think needs calling out and talking about in a bit more detail uh and just kind of go from there so in this segment we have myself dan joining us as well is good old rich hello rich welcome to the segment Hello, glad to be back. There you go. Looking what forward a, to it. Absolutely. A delight to have you as always. And also, Phil and Joe are also here as well, aren't you boys? We yeah. are. There we are, there we are. Lads, lads, lads. So, uh, yeah, as I say, what we're going to do is we're going to basically call out something from the new Chaos Space Marine Volume 2 Codex uh, and or Vigilus Ablaze. It is Ablaze, isn't it? Let's just look. Yes, Ablaze. Vigilus Ablaze uh, and or Chaos Space Marines uh, Codex Volume 2. One thing that we like from it. Phil, what do you like from the glorious world of chaos? Well, I've always been a bit of a fan of the slightly off-kilter parts of chaos. I've always really liked the idea of renegade chapters rather than just your standard, you know, we've fallen since the heresy. Um, And actually, if I was ever to collect a chaos army, it would be Red Corsairs. Uh, so it's pretty pleasing to see now that they've actually got some decent rules. Uh, so it's nice that the Renegades are being supported and lifted up to the almost the same standards as uh, the Legion brethren. I mean, you say they've got some really nice rules. Wouldn't it be lovely, though, if Huron Blackheart had a better model? Well, we were just discussing this beforehand. Yep, uh, his uh, his Forge World model is quite nice. So if mm. I was ever, not that I ever will, because I've got enough armies in the works, but if I was to do Red Crosses, I'd probably convert up the uh, Forge World version uh, because the current, I presume it's Finecast model, which is based on an old metal model, is mm. really, really bad. Obviously, Joe really likes it, though, he was saying. <laughs> I do. I, I love it because I kind of, I just love how misshapen it is and there's weird little derpy 
ferret rat dog thing. Yeah. Oh, is that a spell or combat familiar? It's. He's a bit of both. He's a bit of both. He's just like spellbat. He's 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 like his little cheerleader hanging around with him. Did you ever watch uh, Kim Possible back in the day? I did. What, the naked mole rat? Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, it's basically the, the equivalent of the naked mole rat from Kim Possible. What was the name of the naked mole rat from Kim Possible? Wasn't it Rufus? It was Rufus, yeah. Bloody hell, good memory, mate. Well done. <laughs> Although, what was the name of the kid that ha- owned Rufus? Because it was Kim Possible. Was it Rufus? Uh, we'll say Rufus, who knows? I mean, if we're wrong, we apologise. Please comment below or wherever you're listening to this um yeah what was the other guy was it um oh, what was his name i think it was ron which is why ah. you're thinking it's similar it's similar to rufus i think it was rufus and ron yeah it was ron stoppable wasn't it right should, ron should, should we get back on track yeah probably probably so regular massive... stairs the little <laughs> ferret that looks like it's yeah. from kim Possible. you're on black car yes. uh Awful model, but I guess really decent stats. Um, he can... I think his new thing, if, correct me if I'm wrong, is that he now gives, if you are completely battle-forged, uh, an extra CP, uh, which is a nice little touch. I don't know really in terms of what his old rules were, so you guys can let me know if he's uh, better in this edition. Their, le- their, like, their legion trait, as it were, is based around giving the extra CP. Like, he actually gives you an additional CP. Yes. So, if you have a battalion with three squads of um, Red Corsair Chaos Base Marines in it, they give you an additional three. So that battalion's worth five. And if... Five, and then the squads is three, so it's eight. And then if you have fewer, and that gives you nine for one battalion. Which is pretty tasty. Can Huron yeah. have any marks of chaos, or does he just come undivided? I don't believe um, Huron has any of the marks of chaos. I don't think he can take them either. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's not a part of the Black Legion, so you can't use that stratagem where you can give him all of them. No. No. Yeah, well, there you go. So you can't uh, shenanigans it in any way to make it that he could maybe have, like, noise marines as troops. It has to be chaos space marines. Yeah, well, they've got to shift those boxes. <laughs> well, exactly. They made new boxes. They've got to get them gone, right? And they do look very cool. They do. They do. But yeah, pr- pretty good overall. So what's Huron doing, anyway? Have you got any idea what that guy's all about, other than giving CPs? Oh, I mean... Oh, go on, Joe. You probably know what he does better than I do. He's bombing around in a Blackstone fortress at the moment, isn't he? What, in the game? So in the universe. Okay, okay. So not on the tabletop. He's not. You're not like deploying him in space and shooting lasers from the ceiling. In in the games, a bit. Um, to talk about another channel, Mini Wargaming, when the new Codex came out, mm-hmm. did a one v one tournament, basically, of all the Chaos Lords versus each other. Okay. And Blackheart won every single matchup. No, mm-hmm. Blackheart. Yeah. So what's he got uh, that gives him that edge? So he's got he's got the Tyrant Squad, which is a nine-inch range flamer, so, which is a Salt D6, but it's okay. a heavy flamer. All right. He's got a Power Axe. He's got a Power Fist. Mm-hmm. But he's also a Psyker, which gives him the edge. 
Um, so he knows smite and one other psychic power. So coming up against one on one on characters, he can go smite and then he can go um, death hex and then run up there and just bash him in the face. Oh wow! Okay, so that gave him the edge. Yeah, and he's toting five attacks hitting on twos as well. Even with the power fist. Uh, oh, the power fist is is minus one. So okay. He's hitting on but he's still pretty he's pretty savage. Oh, there you go. And does his little ferret, his little naked mole rat, give him anything? Or is that it just... does. It allows him to... It says, after Huron Blackheart has manifested a psychic power, his Hermydra can oh, yes. uh, lend him additional power if he's still alive. When he does so, Huron Blackheart can immediately attempt to manifest an additional power. Ooh! So what, is he normally doing one psychic power now too? Yeah, so Huron can attempt to manifest one psychic power in each uh, psychic phase and attempt to deny one. Uh, he knows smite and one psychic power from the dark hereticus discipline. So basically, yeah, his little space ferret allows him to <laughs> <laughs> allows him to summon a second uh, power. Plus, part of the red corsair's traits allows him to advance and charge as well, so he's a bit more speedy. All right. And he gets to obviously do the re-roll hit rolls for all friendly red corsairs within six as well. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So he can advance and charge and gains additional CPs for being a red yeah. corsair? Yeah. God, they yeah, got so everything, don't they? Is the advance and charge their default, um, like, chapter tactic? So advance and charge was the default for all the renegade chapters? Ah, uh, okay. But then they... the equivalent of um, Death to the Full Temple, then. No, uh, no, they still have that. Mm, no, no. <laughs> yeah, they do. I thought only the original uh, legions got that. No, who cares? They don't get. Um, uh, no, it's not oh, it's... the the long veterans on the long wall. That's, what I'm that's the one that I don't have access to. Ah, okay. Oh, that's really? A, that, that's a stratagem, though. They, so they can use it. Yeah, that's a stratagem. Yeah, sure they can it. use. Yeah, the I mean, the stratagem says that you can't. So the renegade chap, renegades can't use it. Oh, really? Oh, can they not? Oh, I thought it was the, if you roll a six in combat, you the one where you roll a six to hit in combat. and That's what it, it that's, what, that's what it, you, yeah, you, that was a couple of editions ago, that's what it was. Mm. But, now, but uh, you still get that. So they've yeah, still but, got the False Emperor, which allows them to gain additional attacks in combat. All Chaos units have that, but they don't have access to Veterans of the Long War, which is a original nine thing. Which makes sense, because they're not veterans of Long War. They're no. more recent traitors. Yeah. So what does veterans of Long War normally do, then? It's a plus one to wound veterans of Long War, so usually very useful on a unit of uh, Slanish Havocs with Laz Cannons, because then all of a sudden their freeze to wound become twos to wound, and then you endless cacophony in them to shoot again, because that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> But there you go. So what about Red Corsairs, other than obviously Huron Blackheart and all this stuff that you're seemingly discovering throughout the course of the conversation attracted you to them, Phil? Uh, well, like I said, uh, I've always liked the idea of them. I always think the Renegades are sort of much more interesting from a sort of story point of view than just for plain old traitor legions. Mm. Um, so, so like I said, even last year I was like looking at Chaos Models going, ooh. And uh, I, it was Red Corsairs that I was eyeing up, basically. You did do a small kill team of Chaos uh, Space Marines, though, didn't you? 
Uh, not quite. Well, mostly renegade guard or uh, renegade militia, but they did have uh, free models, uh, which were chaos space marines, and I use the death guard um, easy build ones. Partly because they were one I could just buy a pack, and there was only three of them in. But if I was given a choice, I would have probably got the more newer uh, chaos space marines. But this was, you know, going back summer last year, so that's why I got Death Guard ones. And you can still paint them red? Oh, I could do, or trade them in and um, do some red corsets. But ultimately, I really wanted them as a standalone uh, renegade militia, and I wasn't that fussed about chaos. It was more because how Kill Team is structured, mm. and it's quite limited. I was like, okay, I do need some space marines. Yeah, no, makes sense, makes sense. I mean, the Red Corsairs sound really super interesting. I think, that obviously, the fact that they can uh, take up a lot of CPs or add a lot of CPs is definitely cool. Add to that the whole advance and charge stuff, I think it sounds... I wouldn't be surprised if you get people taking them, a bit like the Loyal 32, the, I don't know, Spiky 17 or whatever it's going to end up being, the <laughs> ultimately taking three five-man space mean. Uh, squads plus two characters. I guess one of them could even be Huron. Mm. And then got a bunch of CP to add in to your other Chaos factions yeah. that you take for your army. I am curious with Huron as well, that if you did a simple head swap with him, because I always, looking at the model, it's that weird gaunt, flabby face that he's got. I know both gaunt and flabby don't normally go together as statements, but they've managed to achieve it somehow with this model. It's quite incredible. Well, you could quite easily um, take Abaddon, even though he's now much bigger of a beast, but he's got that similar claw and almost like pose with his hand, and then you just want to swap out the sword for an axe. But he's wearing then... Terminator armor, isn't he, Abaddon? No, oh, details. Details. You'd <laughs> probably use the, um, the the sergeant from Shadowspear. Yeah, um, okay. He's got an axe hand, and he just replaced the plasma pistol um, with the power claw slash power fist. He hasn't got a power axe, though, has he? He's got a chain axe, so it'd be a bit of a job. Or you could maybe do the Black Zone Fortress um, captain guy. He'd make uh, a good Huron, wouldn't he, actually? Uh, like but a... And obviously he had a thunder hammer, but you could do sort of a, a swap on the head to turn it into an axe. I guess you've got the power claw as an extra issue, but it's not very visible once because he's holding... The axe in both hands, so maybe you could get away with it. It's the um, it's the flamer addition to the power fist that gets kind of complicated, though, doesn't it? Because then you've got to try and kind of model around that, and there's no widely available heavy flamer power fist kind of combos in plastic that I know of. There's the Terminator power fist with the melter gun for the old Death Watch stuff that you. That did the rounds. Well, then... it's not a traditional flamer. Like, if you look at it, it's sort of spurting out the palm of his hand. So, mm. if you've got any sort of power fist that's closed, you can just be like, well, it's there, but it's not visible. <laughs> it's like it's on the inside. Yeah, just put some tubes toward in, into it and just go, yeah, yeah, it's there. Don't worry. Don't worry yeah. yourself. It's, it's all good. Back going in on. second edition, I converted up a model of you on Black Car. I don't know if I have it still, but I just. I I kit bashed it would be the polite way of describing it now, but it would be best. The results would be best described as poor. <laughs> uh, uh, in the it, I, I I had a heavy flame. Oh, I had a lump of plasticine, which I stuck four like daggers into, and then I strapped a heavy flamer to the outside of it. 
And I said, that's the, and I said, there you go, that'll do. That'll do. That's your old blackout right there. And, no, and then I sort of like some like fuel tanks to his, to his back with a little, and then I put a bit of string. So if, that was my conver- that was my first ever conversion. I would I would love to see that one day. <laughs> if ever you could find that anywhere, that would be a uh, a thing to behold. I remember my mate had a Chaos Space Marine army uh, back in school days. And he did, like, some mad, like, Lord conversion where he'd kind of given, like, a skeleton face to, like, some character. And it just looked absolutely awful. And he took it into a games workshop to play a game with. And, like, obviously the store staff were being very encouraging and very nice because he was a young lad. Well, I say young lad, he was about 14 at the time or whatever. And he wanted to, you know, come in and play some games and the rest of it. And they couldn't help but sort of break out in laughter when he revealed this god-awful, like, <laughs> conversion that he made. So, yeah. I mean, you know, don't be discouraged. Uh, you know, always uh, express your creativity. But, uh, yeah, sometimes things that you thought were super cool as a kid aren't so great when uh, in, in the cold light of, 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 of adult life, I suppose. Um, but there you go. The Red Corsair sounds super cool. Rich, what do you like about Chaos Space Marines Volume 2 and or supporting documents? Uh, so one thing I'm particularly in- excited for, and I didn't think I would be, because I'm not usually interested in pieces of terrain, uh, because they usually just end up being grey or boring, but I am really in- interested in the Noctilith Crown, uh, the new gl- giant, circly, spiky glyph building um, that you can have out of chaos. Is part of a Blackstone Fortress? Probably, yeah. yeah. It's made of Blackstone. Oh, there you go. There's some. There is some flavour text I should have read um, beforehand, but fortunately <laughs> Joe had, so Joe was able to bring it in. But it does look really cool. Um, it's not often that, that some. So often when it's like a scenery you can buy for a, an army, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, like the Eldar have had one. The Nurgle had that weird bush. <laughs> <laughs> bush. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, which you could summon. I believe you can summon that. I've not got too too much into Nurgle. I think they I... fixed it because I think they took the demon keyword off of it for some reason because it used to be that you could summon it or teleport it on, but I think they got rid of that. I think. I don't know. So we, we, this definitely can't because it's just a building mm. with the Chaos Faction keyword, um, but it's it's actually pretty cool by the buffs. It's 100 points or power level 5 if... That you're that way inclined, uh, but it's really cool. Um, the basic ability is that any psychers who are within twenty, any enemy psychers who are within twenty-four inches, perils on any double, which is awesome. Which is awesome, uh, and it also has a, a special aura, um, which gives all chaos units that are within that are within six inches, uh, so wholly within. Mm-hmm. Um, for the um, just to be just to be very clear. In case this is in a quiz in the future, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, chaos units, chaos units, wholly within six inches, gain a five up in them, which is really cool because um, you can means you can put anything there that wouldn't normally have a five up in them, and it can have a five up in, in mm. them. Yeah, awesome. um, the model itself is huge; it's crazy huge. Yeah. So, but wait, but wait, there's more, Joe. There's more. There's also a buff to friendly psychers. Who can add all their range of their abilities is increased by three inches. No, no, they're chaos psychers within six inches. Um, can re-roll their psychic. Can re-roll tests. their psychic test. There you yes, go. There you go. Their but wait, there's even more than that. 
which is that the six inch bu- um, bubble um, increases by three inches every turn. So it starts at six inches, then it's nine, then it's twelve, then it's fifteen on turn four. If there's a turn five, it's eighteen inches, and those buffs apply. So it's a really cool um, vehicle building that means that a you can be if you are using it for the buffs as the chaos player, they are getting further out, so you don't have to stay in your deployment zone. Mm. You can slowly get further out, and it also means it's a, something that the enemy can't just ignore. They have to shoot it because it's going to be a problem later on. And it has toughness eight with fourteen wounds, a free up save, and it is a chaos unit, so it also has the benefit of the five up invun that it generates. So I think that's a really cool um, thing to add to a chaos army. I totally agree. I think the fact that the aura increases by three inches a turn for everything, bar the. Uh, one that negatively affects enemy psychers um, is is pretty incredible. So you can obviously by turn three, this thing is going out, uh, you know, twelve inches, and then oh sorry, not um, yeah, twelve inches by yeah. turn three, fifteen turn four. So you, I mean, this in combination with like havocs hanging around like the back table edge is actually really frustrating because it just makes them even more survivable with that fiber bin bum, which is pretty yeah. crazy. I think, because we're talking about a minute, Havocs aren't going to be hanging around, I don't think, because now they can move and shoot. I think it's going to be things like um, Dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughts? You can fit a lot of Hellbrutes around that thing, and just giving them Laz Cannon missiles, they'd be quite efficient. I think one other cool bonus for it that is not expected... Um, is the chaos, is chaos knights will gain a five up in running combat if they're next to it or um, within this aura, which is uh, often chaos knights aren't particularly competitive um, compared to the loyalist brethren because they don't have access to all the different traits and stratagems. However, anything with the is anything with the chaos keyword gains yeah. that five up in run and it's against shooting or close combat. It's super annoying as well that you can re-roll um, psychic tests, right? Because obviously you've got some really pricey but very important psychic tests that you want to get off early game, um, such as you know getting that big unit to warp time across the table and things like that. So with some clever positioning of this in conjunction with um, you know one of your psychers and the relative decent range of warp time, you could probably you know, again, having that re-roll is super useful, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's well worth it for 100 points almost on its own, I'd say. I can I can see a lot of Thousand Suns players picking this up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, big time. Because it's a building, can it actually claim objectives? No. No. No, not that I'm aware of. Although then, you deploy it. Could you also give it a cover save if, by some miracle, you could put it wholly within a ruin and obscured by fifty percent? Well, yeah. Well, it'd technically, be a vehicle. Well, it, it, all buildings have the vehicle keyword. This so, one does as well. Yes, line. it does. Yes, yes. So it'll be quite. I, I mean, I'd assume so then. Well, exactly. I mean, you'd uh, have you'd have some job. It towers above Abaddon. It towers above uh, Imperial. Well, no, but, I mean, the new uh, ruins are pretty big, aren't they? They are. It, so, it's, it's, probably, it's probably as big as a knight, I'd say. Yeah. It, it looks pretty tall. But, you know, if you're playing at home and you want to be ultimate cheese, build a ruin that's perfectly shaped, 
for this thing to sit in the middle of. You'll have a great time. Make the best of friends that way. I'm sure you would. <laughs> well, well, you could just use it also to block your opponent off. Or if you want to do, bizarrely, a very defensive game, uh, or you knew your opponent's going to be coming at you, you could stick this quite far forwards. Yeah. Like, okay, you've got to now go around it, basically. And that's going to take up a lot of space on the table. I do genuinely think this is probably one of the first terrain pieces besides the uh, the Nurgle bush, as Richie so beautifully called it, <laughs> that, um, that, that we're going to see in actual kind oh, of... It's, it's got actual decent rules for change. Yeah, really does. It's, I mean, it's, it's also really lovely. I mean, it, it does have a, a, limit, a limiting factor for competitive play in it. You, it basically has to be in its own detachment. True. So at that point, you might as well take between one and three of them. Doesn't the battalion or the brigade have a fortification part to it? I don't don't believe so. Oh, I'd have to actually... I haven't got the rule book on me right now, but I think you're actually potentially right about that, Joe. If you give me a moment while I check the internet, uh, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. Five minutes later. So it appears you cannot have it in... In any detachment. There you go. Except, obviously, a fortification detachment. Oh, of course. And you get one to three. There you go. So, as Richie said, why not take three of them? Because that would be madness. Because you only have one for each caster. It's true. It's true. Or, you could uh, take this and a couple other little uh, bits of terrain. I don't know what you might be interested in. Imperial Bastions. um, Or... Bastions as they are. <laughs> the uh, Nurgle Bush. The that's Nurgle Scottish. Bush. The Nurgle Bush. The Sky Shield. The Sky Shield. That's pretty awful these days. Um, I was kind of interested at one point in the idea of a Gene Steeler cult army built around fortifications. Um, but as it transpires, that would have been more of a 7th edition idea. Uh, and I didn't do it in time for the end of 7th edition. And I don't think it's that good in 8th uh, to make it make sense. But this... Shows potential, and it's really good that it looks like the Stargate, isn't it? I mean, that's something. Yeah, that's the best thing about it. It is very Stargate. It's, it's. Well, I can see this being in a few armies on parades um, with uh, modelled, so something's coming out of it, basically. Oh yeah, totally. Like a Stargate. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, there you go. That was the. What were we saying? The Noctilith Crown. There it was. The words. Have I pronounced that correct, Rich? I'll say yes. Well, you're very kind. Very kind indeed. Um, so yes, that was that. Uh, in terms of the stuff that I'm interested in, bear in mind we're going to end with Joe's uh, topic of choice on this one. We, we'd agreed the order in advance, um, or rather I told everyone what the order was going to be in advance and no one said no. So uh, what I like from Chaos Space Marines is a unit not many people are talking about. And to say I like it is, uh, you know, accurate but probably... I'm just more interested in it to see where its place is and just wanted to have a discussion about it. So Master of Executions is uh, a new uh, HQ choice for Chaos Space Marines. And I think it's kind of interesting because the thing is, this is the first new Chaos Space Marine HQ type since... uh, Well, actually, it's not the first new one because there's actually two new ones in the book. So there's this guy and the... uh, the master, oh sorry, the Lord Discordant. Um, so you've got the Master of Executions and the Lord Discordant. So two new interesting HQ cho- choices. But to be fair, the Lord Discordant doesn't seem dramatically different from some of the established Chaos Space Marine HQs because it's a big burly Lord mounted on some kind of 
demon steed, of which there's been many different versions of that from the uh, seekers of uh, Slanesh to the to the uh, juggernauts of Corn. You know, we've seen lords on on mounts before, but this guy, I think, is quite interesting because not since the Dark Apostle, which was added um, back in Sixth Edition, have we seen an entirely kind of new archetype for um, Chaos Space Marines. In fact, actually, it was the Dark Apostle and the uh, what's the name of their Tech Marines again? Warpsmith. Warpsmith. Warpsmith, yeah. So the Warpsmith and the Dark Apostle came into effect in uh, the Sixth Edition book, and those were done predominantly to kind of mirror the Chaplain and Tech Marine roles of uh, the Loyalist Astartes. But now we've got something really unique in the form of the Lord Executioner, which is obviously super interesting. Or sorry, the Master of Executions. I need to get these words right. It's a Lord Discordant. Master of Executions. I'll get there in the end. Um, but for your four power level, how many points is a Master of Executions? I should have probably checked. It's 70 it. points. I've got your points. back. Seven zero points. So for 70 points, you're getting movement six, which is standard. Uh, weapon skill two plus, ballistic skill three plus, uh, strength and toughness four, four wounds, five attacks, leadership nine, and a three plus save. The Master of Executions is a single model armed with the Axe of Dismemberment. Uh, bolt pistol, frag, and crack grenades. Um, the axe of dismemberment being a melee weapon or melee weapon, melee, melee, melee uh, weapon with strength plus two, minus three uh, AP, D3 damage, and each time you make a wound roll of six for this weapon, the target suffers one mortal wound in addition to any other damage. So that is a humongous axe with five attacks with no negatives to hit. So that thing is hitting on two pluses. Uh, at strength 8, which is pretty tidy in and of itself. Uh, then, in uh, addition to that, you have Death to the False Emperor, which is obviously, if it's fighting an Imperial character or unit, it gets additional attacks for every 6 it rolls, unless, of course, you take it as... Is it Black Legion that has the exploding fires for Death to the False Emperor? Yeah, if you um, if they stood next to the, the Warlord. Oh, so no. you could take him as the Warlord. You could do yeah. he is a character, so you could give him that. Uh, interestingly, there's a Warlord trait uh, where you can have it that any sixes actually... Um, any sixes become uh, a mortal wound as well. So you could actually have an exploding six on top of an exploding six in the sense of you could have that Warlord trait and this. So every six did two mortal wounds, which is pretty crazy. Um, yep. So that's quite cool. I think we're going to see him either taken with Black Legion to get the exploding, exploding, explodingness. Because mm. like if you take him with um, Black Legion and then you use something like Veterans of the Long War, so he's got exploding fives instead of sixes. Oh yeah, because um, plus one to wound, right? Yeah, and if he's not your warlord, but um, he stood next to someone that grants that ability. Then it'll be exploding um, fours, mm. which is pretty nice. Um, or I think most likely you'll see World Eaters players taking them. I don't think you'd get exploding fours uh, on the Tawoons. I think that would only really come about if you took a Dark Apostle and gave him that prayer that gives him an additional plus one. So you could make it right. that he's got exploding fours for mortal wound purposes, which would be pretty crazy fun. Yeah. 
which would be pretty tasty. Anyway, the point is, he's also got Trophy Taker on top of other things. So Trophy Taker, once per fight phase, you can re-roll one hit roll, wound roll, or damage roll for an attack made by uh, by this model that targets a character. So once per fight phase, he can re-roll either a hit roll, a wound roll, or the damage. So that's pretty big as well, because when you consider that he's doing D3 damage with that axe... If you know, if you if you get two hits off and two wounds off, and you get unlucky and you roll a two and a one, you can reroll that one. You know, potentially get a five or a six, turning the the value of the D three into three, which means that against most five wound characters, this guy can get pretty scary. Yeah, well, because we all know that I like comparing it to this. He'd actually do quite a bit of damage to a knight on his own. Well, I mean, not as much as because there is um there is a chaos lord build doing the rounds uh, where you take a chaos lord uh, with a I think well I think it's some the- people are suggesting you do it on juggernaut. There's some other tricks that you can do, but you basically take a chaos lord and give him the black legion chain sword um, that basically means that he then gets uh, this mortal wound effect. So he gets minus three AP, two damage, any six, uh, two additional attacks, and any sixes do mortal wounds. Is that correct, Joe? Yes. And then um, you give but... him the warlord trait I was talking about, where you get the two mortal wounds every time, and then he charges in and does like six attacks. And if it's against the Imperial Knight, he's got the exploding sixes for Death to the False uh, Emperor. And then it, it's something like stupid, like he can do twenty-one wounds to an Imperial Knight in one round of combat, or something crazy. It's pretty mental. Mm. I mean, that's uh, not this guy, but he has similar potential, I suppose. Well, this this guy, he's wounding a knight on fours at the moment. So with veterans, he's wounding him on threes. Mm. And if you've got a dark apostle, it means that he's wounding a knight on twos. Yes. And yeah, he's, so he's hitting the knight on twos, um, wounding it on twos, and so any six to hit gives him additional attacks. Mm-hmm. If he's world eaters, then he's got six attacks to start off with. Mm. Um, and then he's wounding on twos, and with the darker fossil situation, um, any fours, fives, and sixes are doing two mortal wounds each. If you give him that warlord trait, yeah. One yeah. otherwise, but if you give him the warlord trait, yeah, he gets that. So if, yeah. you were, so if you were to say you took this guy as a world eater and you gave yeah. him all that shenanigans, he's actually going to do quite a lot of damage to an Imperial Knight as well, isn't he? Because each one of those yeah. hits is going to do D3 damage. Yeah. Because a knight, unless you do what Richie was talking about and put him within range of the, uh, of the crown... Uh, assuming yeah. it's a renegade knight, isn't going to get an invite in combat, so it's got minus three, so you've got to roll sixes. So if you're hitting it on... Uh, if you're hitting it on twos, wounding it on twos with this combination you're talking about, yeah, yeah that can get pretty explosive, couldn't it? Yeah, and and most knights are all characters, which means he get the re-roll to hit wound or damage. Yeah, the one re-roll. Once per the one re-roll. But it's still useful if you mess up... If you if you hit say five times, mm. but you only wound four times, then you can just hit that reroll. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's super cool about him. So, just the last piece of his rules is he's got warp sighted butcher. 
So after the enemy has completed all their charge moves, this model can perform a heroic intervention if it is within three of any enemy model or six if it's uh, uh, of any enemy character. If this model is within six of any character, it can move up to six when performing a heroic intervention instead of three as long as it finishes within one of a character. So you could be well tricky with this against some knight players as well who haven't even declared him as a target. And you could yeah. run in. God, actually think about that for a minute there because he could go in... Not be declared as a target, so not be attacked. Get yeah. his again. We'll say he's world eaters just for the sake of this argument. So he gets six attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on twos. He can't re-roll, so we'll say he hits five times, wounds five times, being super generous on the way we've stacked this. Those five will probably then also have three um, uh, mortal wounds, which were double stacking. So he would have done. Six mortal wounds for the free. The Imperial Knight, let's be super generous and say it passes no armor saves, will then take yeah. five D3 damage, which, are, if you average that out to two apiece, is another ten on top. So this guy could run in and go 16 damage to an Imperial Knight, and then you could make him go again. And that's without yep. even factoring in the fact that he would have got extra hits for rolling sixes to hit in the first place. On yeah. that, I would say I think he's actually best as a flawless host. Oh, okay. Because, so, partly be, partly because I I'm a closet Emperor's Children fan, <laughs> and hoping they finally get some their own codex, and they might now they're getting some demons finally. But the flawless host uh, warlord trait, well, their, their their legion trait is that they basically get um, veterans of the long war against everything, mm. um, and it's it's two attacks if it is a loyalist. Mm. So. But also their their warlord trait is that when that procs, it does three additional attacks, not just one. Oh wow! So what you could take him as a warlord and have exploding. So you've got exploding sixes against anything in the game. Yeah. And each of those sixes does three additional attacks. What? Pretty tasty. That would be crazy, man. And the oh. thing is, is this guy is. And then to top it off, top it off. Just icing on the take is you give him the uh, slightly nerfed intoxicating elixir. Uh, which would give, which is Slanet, which is a Slanesh relic, uh, which gives you plus one attack and plus one strength. Mm. Here's the thing, though, right? This guy is seventy points, and this was the sort of point I wanted to get across with him. He's seventy points, and we're talking about okay, yeah, sure, you're talking about some CPs and some other synergies, but a seventy-point model that can potentially go up to an Imperial Knight and go, oh, there you go, mate, sixteen wounds. It's like, I'm sorry, what? It's <laughs> like, that that's bananas. I think it's ab- he's, I just think. I think there's potential with this guy. I think the thing is with him, he's not going to be the first choice for many people because most people are going to be looking at Demon Princes, Abaddon, Chaos Lords, Dark Apostles, Sorcerers. There's so much good stuff in terms of HQ choices for this army. But I do actually think you shouldn't sleep on this guy. I think if you see someone running a Master of Executions, you don't just sort of go, oh, is that what their... you know, Chaos is uh, chaplain. It's like, yeah, sure, if that's what you want to think. And then before you know it, blam, there you are. Because, I mean, this guy will this guy will wreck a lot of characters in the game. Like, there's not too many people who want to get charged by this guy or heroically intervened by him. And I doubt anyone will ever remember his six-inch heroic intervention thing. 
Um, so I think you could do some really cheeky shenanigans with him. I mean, okay, don't mislead your opponent. Don't create a situation if they ask you or allude to, can he heroically intervene? As, and you could go, oh, I'm not within free, as if to sort of suggest that that's an appropriate answer. Like, don't do people over like that. But at the same time, if no one takes the time to ask you, they sure, sure won't forget when, you, when it happens to them. Because, I mean, if anyone's ever played against a good Space Wolf player... Heroically intervening six inches can be really annoying. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the, the more un, unused things by Custodes players as well. Mm. Um, so, like, most of their army can heroically intervene six inches. That is true. Is that true? Is that a Custodes thing? Yeah, there's a Warlord trait that allows your units within 12 are able to heroically intervene. And they, what, can heroically intervene up to six inches? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that they could do that. Also, most custodians' armies are free jet bikes, commander things now anyway, so they can do it. (laughs) (laughs) But there you go. I was going to say, I don't don't mean to rain on his parade, but I would say that a lot of the good buffs for him happen when you make him the warlord. Yes. And the drawback with that is that he only has four wounds and toughness four, and he has no invulnerable save. That is true. That so is absolutely true. He will, if, if they've got scouts or they've got a Vindicare, he's not going to be lasting very long because he's going to have a big target on his head as soon yeah. as he gets that Warlord trait. So I think we need to... I, I'm going to be going away to find out is there a way you can make him awesome without making him the Warlord. I think, I think he can be awesome without being a warlord in the sense that he's 70 points, right? I think when you, when you talk about characters in the game that are 70 points, right? You're talking uh, Spirit Seers, which are 65 points. You're talking um, Crikey Why. You're actually talking Lieutenants, um, Primaris Lieutenants anyway. Um, Necron Lords, I want to say, I think, are 70 points. Anyone actually verify that, or am I just going to... Yeah, Cryptek is. Yeah. A Lord is well over 100, I think. But you talk about most of those things, and they have a quite quantifiable level of performance, right? Like, when you look at a 70-point HQ choice, you're talking Apothecaries, you're talking whatever, whatever you are talking about, you're talking about quite a quantifiable thing, and as much as it never really poses a massive threat to you, you understand what it can do, and it can usually buff stuff or make stuff better around it, such as chaplains and things of that nature. What makes this guy super interesting is the fact that, yeah, he has the potential in him to behead your HQ. So if, you, if you're if you not aware of this guy and you're not thinking about him as a legitimate threat, yeah, sure, he's carrying a big axe, but you might be like, ah, it's chaos, whatever. I think he could... He could turn around and 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 uh, and cause you a bit of a headache, as it were. No pun intended, obviously, in terms of him being the master of executions. But he he could definitely, in the hands of a good player under the right set of circumstances, he could definitely sneak a very significant kill out of a game and and do something really interesting. So yeah, for that I think he's cool. I think again he's not he's not the best thing in this book, but I don't think people should sleep on him. I think he's got options, and I think for seventy points. It's a really cheap HQ choice that could do something interesting. But as you say, Rich, I mean, I'd love to hear if you could think of anything other than making him a warlord that could make him super killy. I think, I mean, I just quickly looked up the only comparable. I mean, he's the cheapest HQ choice for Chaos at 70 points. Um, 
which is the same price as the Exalted Champion. Mm. If you remember that other HQ choice that nobody uses, <laughs> uh, uh, but whose whose buff was who's the the thing whole thing of the Exalted Champion was that he could reroll failed hit rolls against characters. Mm. Uh, yeah, failed hits against characters. Uh, but interestingly, he did have an aura which was rerolling wounds in the fight phase. Mm. So they might be an interesting double team to have. <laughs> well, exactly. The two underrated, cheapest characters together. You know, you pile trash together, it gets valuable, maybe. I don't know. It's one of those, like, world's most obscure Supreme Command attachment. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a like, yeah, Master of Executions, Exalted Champion, and a Dark Apostle. Yeah. 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 It could be interesting. I think, again... I just thought it was worth talking about him because I've not really heard too many people go into any great lengths about him as a character. And, you know, I think the model's pretty cool. I think, you know, again, there's an alternate head option for it where you've got like this half eaten face uh, or the more kind of uh, iconic uh, kind of um, executioner's mask, which I think is probably much more the version that people are going to go with. I just think it's, I, I say, I just think it's a cool addition to the Chaos Space Marines. Um, when you consider everything that they got over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, I doubt too many people went out and picked up this model. I doubt too many people are planning armies around it. I don't think you should plan armies around it, but I can't think of, if you're looking to fill out even like a Red Corsairs, as you say, uh, Battalion, He's a cheap HQ that actually could do something quite interesting on occasion. So, yeah, that's my uh, perspective on that. Um, so, yeah, to close out this segment, let's hear what Joe likes from Chaos Space Marines. I have chosen the humble Havoc Squad. I hear well, they're not, good, Joe. Yeah, they're not they're not humble anymore. They're out and proud and shouting about how awesome they are. Um. So they've had two hugely noticeable upgrades now. Um, they are Toughness 5, so they're, they're Death Guard now, basically. And um, they can move and shoot heavy weapons without uh, any penalty, which is massive. Huge. Mm. So I think Games Workshop have said, we don't see Havocs anymore. How can we make them good? And they they went have this stuff, and now I think we're going to see them all the time. And it means they're a lot more versatile now because they can move around the table freely um, and hold objectives. So, like as your standard backline unit, if you're playing Maelstrom, for instance, and you've got to go over and capture a backline objective, they can just bimble off and still be efficient. Mm. Um. And they've got access to a new gun now. Um, the controversial gun. Well, I really like it. I don't and mean in terms of rules, just the two. fact that there's only one of them in the box. Oh, yes. Yes, that is the controversy. But that's how you make money, by only release, releasing a really cool new gun, only giving one of it in the box, which means that people have to buy four boxes. Well, actually, they only need to buy two boxes because I hear auto cannons are back in the meta. <laughs> Isn't that right, Dan? Well, I mean, look, I'm only making a bold statement based on what I see as the useful things of Havocs. If I was running Chaos Space Marines, I would use auto cannons, and I think I made that point quite clear in the last episode. Um, just because I think mobility and range, or range 
is a brilliant compensation for mobility. Um, and I think there's a lot of very powerful units in the game that have two wounds and a four abinvun that really wouldn't appreciate being shot by an autocannon. So, yeah, that's where I came from on the autocannon front. I think as long as you've got range and as long as you've got consistent damage and you can deal with most things, I think you're a more versatile and useful unit. I love the rotocannon. I think it's a really incredible thing. And don't get me wrong, in the right set of circumstances, you're going to really butcher something with that. I just think it's a lot of points to invest in a unit that is only ever going to go forwards to die and is quite one-dimensional. When I, when I, basically, when I play a game of 40k, I'm playing five turns. And if we, I, I, I value a unit based on how survivable and how much damage it can output consistently through five turns. I look at a unit like Havocs with rotor cannons and I go, yeah, amazing for one turn, worthless after that. And that's essentially how I look at that unit and why I think the autocannon is better. But that's mostly to do with my playstyle. People have different opinions. That is mine. So there you go. <laughs> I think, personally, your best running three units of Havocs in your army, and you have one last cannon team, one autocannon team, and one unit of these new Gatling cannon guys. Um, because because of the new detachment that's in the Vigilus and Blaze book. Oh, no. I've lost the blooming page already. <laughs> Solid. Um, oh, no. De- Devastation Battery on page 181. Um, basically, you pay one CP to make your detachment a Devastation Battery, and all Chaos Lords, Warp Smiths, Havocs, and Obliterators get the Devastation Battery keyword. And then what that means is they get a Warlord trait for the, the leaders. There's re-roll to wound roll to wound rolls of one uh, for attacks made by friendly devastation and battery units that are within six inches of Warlord if they target a vehicle. Which so, is pretty cool. Which is super good. And if you absolutely love Iron Warriors like I do, it means they are now like they were in 7th edition. That's true. Because uh, it basically gives them Tank Hunter now. So if you have your little bubble of guys in a 6-inch circle around a Lord, um, giving them re-roll ones to hit and wound, super good. So am super I to good. assume that all your Havocs are going to be paint- painted silver? Yes. So you're going to have Black Legion, what, a battalion with Abaddon, and then a unit of, um, a, a detachment of Iron Warriors to go with them? Yeah. Oh, Joe. S- souping it up. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure you used to say, oh, I don't like all this soup. And now look at you. Well, it's not, well, technically, if we're going to be, um, if we're going to be a story-driven army, and we like a little bit of fluff, it could be Chaos Undivided. Well, that's the thing with Abby, is he's allowed to take anyone that he wants. Yeah, Because he's he's doing a crusade, and people want to join him. Yeah, and in the Vigilist book, Iron Warriors are there. They were actually there before him. So, um, and then what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to chuck in a Night Lord's attachment as well. So it'll be all funky skittle colours. It'll be be lovely. Um, What's your Night Lord's attachment going to be? Three Demon Princes. Yeah, why not? (laughs) 
it's going to be uh, Raptors. Why not free flying uh, demon princes? I can take those as well. Because they still give you the, the minus uh, leadership debuff, and they're it's demon princes. They're horrifying. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're talking about then. <laughs> about devastation. We, we, it was Havoc's Devastation Battery. Yep. Boom. They've got one great new stratagem for this detachment, and one flipping awful. <laughs> so we'll start with the awful one. Basically, use strategy at the start of your shooting phase. Pick a devastation battery unit from your army. You can reroll damage rolls when you target a building. Unfortunately, no one uses buildings. Well, you say that we were talking before about potentially people using the crown, so you never know. If you go against another chaos player, which is potential, mm. then it would be kind of useful. But we all want these. Other um, stratagem, um, which is one CP, use a stratagem at the end of your opponent's first movement phase. If you don't, did not have the first turn, pick a devastation battery unit from your army. That unit can shoot as if it were the shooting phase. So, which is super powerful. So, mm-hmm. like any Unari player will say, if you get extra shooting, it means your army is generally a lot better. It's almost um, too good for one CP as well, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's huge. The thing is, if you're playing competitively, most competitive players would normally say you want to go second anyway because most of the objectives are scored at the start of the game turn. Mm. So you, you want to go second so you can counter your opponent's movements and like shove them off objectives and stuff. So, um, I think if you're taking three Havoc squads, you take a unit of glass cannons, a unit of rotor cannons, and a unit of auto cannons. So, depending on who you're playing against, you've got three good weapon choices to choose from. Mm. So, if you're going up against an Orc player who set up his, his three units of boys and he's moved them all forwards um, to get a charge or... Um, but it's going to, to jump them, you can just use your rotor cannons just to wipe them off the table. If you're playing against a knight player, use your lance cannons and try and basically knock that knight down a couple brackets. Um, unless you're playing against like a Primaris player or someone using um, Custodes, for instance, you're going to use the auto cannons. Are you basically suggesting that everyone buys about four boxes so they can run squads of absolutely everything? Well, technically, you only need to buy three boxes. Uh-huh. Well, no, you need to buy four if you want to get four rotor cannons, don't you? That's true. Or you just buy the four-jawed rotor cannon, and it's all fine. Well, indeed. Or, alternatively, you, you, you do buy four boxes, but then you kit one up in... Because you might want to do a missile launcher unit as well. I was thinking about that because we talked about it in the last podcast. And I did actually think in retrospect missile launchers probably do have a place as well. Because I didn't realise or I had forgotten that they'd reduced their points to a flat 20 rather than 25. I think they were before. So they're actually a little bit more viable at 20 points, that's for sure. And um, to, I, to, I, can't, I can never remember because I've never actually used it. Because I've never had a missile launcher in my Chaos Army. Okay. Do they have... The flak missile. 
I'm going to say yes, but I don't know for sure. I know that's definitely in Space Marines. They do have the Black Missile. Mm, so that's good. Um, so that could be a fun little thing. So if your opponent's using uh, Smash Captains or whatever, and you get to shoot out of sequence, and you put a missile launch, like one missile launcher in each squad, then you can just throw, throw out a friendly a friendly D3 Mortal Wounds at him. Yeah, he'll love just that. Just to discourage a bit. I don't think I, I genuinely don't think the um, stratagem where you can shoot at buildings is terrible though. I think it's situational, but I think there may come more occasions than we initially realise that you're actually being able to use that quite efficiently. As Games Workshop release more and more buildings for um, for Eighth Edition, as they have with Age of Sigmar, every Age of Sigmar release seems to have a building now. I'm sure we'll start to see the same going forwards as we have already. Uh, with 40k, so yeah, I'm fairly confident that that that, that building strategy could become quite useful. Just not oh. yet. Just not yet. You didn't mention though, Joe. You didn't mention the demon's eye. Why don't you want to talk about the demon's eye? Because I just closed the the blooming book. And oh, I can't... <laughs> okay. Well, the demon's eye is a relic that can allow a unit to ignore cover, Joe. But obviously, you're getting that from Iron Warriors. That's the whole reason I brought it up. Yeah. I think that's the words exactly. Let me just read it for you. At the start of your shooting phase, pick a friendly devastation battery unit within six of the bearer. Any units do not receive the benefit for cover against the unit's weapons uh, this phase. So again, you're not going to ever really use that because I think all, most people will agree that this unit or this yeah, this detachment is going to be Iron Warriors anyway, right? Yeah. And, and if you're going to be running Iron Warriors... Um, you'll take a demon prince and give him the flesh metal exoskeleton, which gives him a two-up save. I mean, depending on how you want to build out this unit as well, I probably would go... I'd say I'd probably go... I don't know. I definitely would do two units units of Havocs, both with autocannons, because I've made my feelings clear on that. But I then probably would look at two units of obliterators with it as well. So do a spearhead detachment, two obliterator squads... Two um, uh, Havoc squads and a Chaos Lord, just so as yeah. I could give the um, uh, the re-rolling ones to the uh, two units of Havoc. So I try and just keep the Chaos Lord moving between the two. Um, might be worth, if it's an Iron, uh, Iron Warriors one, maybe put it on a bike or... Um... Yeah, allow him to move around a bit quicker. Well, the, the other cheeky thing about bikes is, is because they're about three inches long, you can add an extra... You add, you're basically adding an extra two inches to your aura because you can obviously swing him sideways, um, which could be yep. important with that sort of stuff. So if you can increase the range of auras with bigger bases, that's always useful. You wouldn't want to take like a demon prince or anything like that because that's you, you don't want to have something like that that isn't going to kind of push itself up the board in some meaningful way. I mean, obviously... Backline defences are useful, but I would say probably, yeah, take a, a Chaos Lord on a bike. Because the other thing that's actually quite interesting about Chaos Lords on bikes, I suppose, is you could actually take the Chaos Lord on bike with a chainsword and some other stuff. Um, I don't know, because that would have to be Black Legion to do all the silly shenanigans we were talking about before. But at least you've got someone there that can respond as well. Because if someone deep strikes stuff into your lines, you've got a Chaos Lord that's perfectly mobile and can throw him into a fight somewhere just to take some heat off of your um, your other units, potentially. So, 
yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether the bike's worth it for the sake of for the sake of the additional aura, but I think it is definitely a conversation because you you not only got that, but you've also got the mobility to attempt to defend yourself should uh, should you find yourself in a situation uh, where you need to. Plus, also if you're playing that mission where you give intel points to characters, increasing your lord's toughness to toughness five and all that sort of stuff is no bad thing either. So it's all good stuff. Yeah. I think like we're going to see a lot more Havocs on the table now. Mm. Um, for definite. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot less obliterators. It has kind of been confirmed um, that the point, the points in the Shadow Spear, where there are 110 points, is correct. Yes. Um, and the and they're not actually 65 points like it says in the new codex, which is a little bit sad. Mm. I think I think Games Workshop went a little bit too far on their points adjustment. I think something like 80, 90 points would be a fair would be a fair add to them. I think the like, problem is with the obliterators, though, and why they needed that slight points increase, which has obviously been given to them in return for a few buffs in terms of the unit, is because a lot of the very the most powerful old Chaos Space Marine uh, lists were built around uh, Slanesh obliterators because of Endless Cacophony and because of uh, Veterans of the Long War. Um, so that combination was really, really abusive. Um, and because of that, you just had so many people doing some really devastating things with those in conjunction with blight crawlers and all that kind of other stuff. So, yeah, as much as I agree that it's probably just a little bit too pricey for the unit, I think it's important that something like that is restricted in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I, I, can, I can understand that. Especially, it makes me sad that I can't use all my toys. It's true. It's true. I do agree with you on that side of things, but... You know, you still use them. It's just you just got to take a few less of them, but yeah. or just accept that you've got to take a bit less of something else. But yeah, no, I like the sound of all of that. So yeah, Rich, what's your opinion on havocs and all that fun stuff? I think they're really cool. Um, I'm, just, I, I, I think heavy bolters are not getting a fair crack these days. I think they're very good, uh, but I do know. I think I, 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 I've tried to. I must have been silent to let Joe put you in your place as i feel he did but the rotor cannons are awesome um they are basically 40 no is it 8 16 32 shots mm-hmm. um in one squad which is kind of basically that's almost a punisher cannon it basically is a, a punisher um cannon shooting twice mm-hmm. so it's like it's like having a lehman russ or a vulture gunship on your side that can move and shoot and that's gonna that's really powerful the mm-hmm. trick is keep it, the, the the trick that people have to do is how do you keep that alive? Yeah, yeah. because people are going to know that's a problem. And usually, when there's something that fires that many shots, um, it's got at least armor or a high toughness. And that, to be fair to the havocs, they do have toughness five now, mm. which does make them a lot more survivable. But they are going to get shot, and there's you can't add the the units now fixed size. You can't like add in extra bodies mm. to take to sap up the wounds as you used to. So. I think they're going to be. They're very, they're very kind of glass hammery. They're really good, but as soon as they start losing models, your firepower goes down really quickly. Yeah. Again, I mean, you know, to talk about some of the most powerful stuff in the game, you talk about like say a farsier on jet bike. Now, obviously, discounting the fact that if you move it in your turn one and it's this detachment, the havocs could just shoot it to death. 
So again, even that in and of itself is actually a big buff because all of a sudden, if you're an elder player like me and you're thinking, oh, I'll just move my Farseer up within 24 or rather within 18 so as I can smite Executioner, the unit, before you even get to that psychic phase, they can turn around to you and go, no, 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 take all these shots. Although obviously they still have to respect the character rules because it's shoot like it's the movement phase, so or it will shoot like it's the shooting phase, which obviously puts character rules in effect. So as long as you position your flyers closer, because obviously you're always going to have flyers when you run out of these days, you're still going to be okay in the grand scheme of things. Um, but let's say, for example, you know, a unit like that, they're just going to get smited and executioned off the board in a one because you're putting them at that dangerous range. And that's always the thing I come back to. Having played such a mobile, aggressive army like the Elder for as long as I've done, I've just seen the... That you know, and, and understanding that that's what resides on the top tables of real competitive 40k. I always try and sort of think about things that have options against that stuff. So I do acknowledge that they can be and will mostly be amazing. I just think it's important to sort of measure those expectations because I don't want too many people getting all super excited and then spending 120 quid on four boxes of Havocs just so they can have that one rotor cannon squad to then discover. That, uh, that they're not playing it very sensibly and they're going, oh, but it always dies before it does anything. And it's like, well, yeah, because 24-inch range on a, on a model moving six inches, it bizarrely isn't that impressive in this game. So that's what I'm well, saying. The most important thing is what Joe mentioned, is putting them into that special detachment mm. to get that stratagem to be able to shoot in turn one at the end of your opponent's movement phase if they went first. Because there's nothing more... Um, I need one of you guys to confirm if this is right, but I believe the stratagem that lets a smash captain warp across the board, that's done in the movement phase? Correct? Uh, uh, yeah. So, smash captain, yeah, it's before the first battle round. Right, but there, is that, isn't there that thing where you can... Yeah, so... Uh, you, oh, there's two you, of them. There's two, there's 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 two a, stratagems. There, it's on Wings of Fire, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, that lets you basically redeploy and charge in turn one. That's end of movement phase, yeah. For on end of movement phase, which means that basically now you have an Overwatch to deal with that. Yes. And if you're only going to buy one box, if we're concerned about our listeners' money, you can buy the one box and take two LAS cannons and two missile launchers. And then you can basically have old school Overwatch for one CP, which against whatever the threat is, whether it's some bikes that have, that have come across the board or some orcs that have that jumped at you, or it's a, an Eldar thing or a Smash Captain, is like you've got this high, hard-hitting unit that can fire off the basis of one box, two... You know, ideally, you want, like, four LAS cannons in there, but two LAS cannons and two missile launchers for a little bit of flexibility to be able to hopefully deal with whatever came across the board into your deployment zone in that first turn that normally you just have to suck it up and deal with. It won't be orcs that to jump, though, because that happens in the psychic phase. But other than that... Oh, okay. Right. right, okay, yeah, so I was wrong. No, 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 no. You were right about everything, but yeah. I just wanted to point out. <laughs> no, I, I. One of the things that is the most annoying thing for me, one of the most annoying things for me is smash captains and archons on bikes or chains. Things that that can appear out of nowhere and then charge you on even turn one, and you can't do anything about it. Mm. It's, uh, this gives you, and that that's the worst. That's that. This gives you a way to deal with that kind of threat. Which because it it'll usually have because they might they might forget you can even do that. Yeah. So I'll just deploy the smash captain here so I can charge into your Kaitan, assuming you're chaos. And he's like, well, actually, I'm going to shoot four lance cannons at you first. <laughs> uh, and then you've then you've, you've dealt with that threat. I think that's I think that's a really powerful thing to have. Um, even though a lot of people are going, I think 
Joe, I think Joe, you said that going second is the best, not a more strategic play these yeah. days. I don't know too much how they're changing the. I think they're changing the rules a bit for ITC, so I don't know whether going first or second is going to be better there. But for all the different kind of game systems out there, I think having that flexibility is going to be really helpful to be able to be able to deal with. So basically, basically to help yourself if you are going second. It's a really good way of shoring up a first strike scenario as well, because obviously if you're aware of the fact that, you know, you might have... Because again, it, it, obviously first strike happens in the first battle round, so even if you know you're going second, you can 1CP chip away at something enough to guarantee that you're going to kill it in the corresponding turn as well. So it gives you a lot more strat- strat- um, strategic flexibility to go after bigger targets in your turn one and still get first strike. Because that often is another little dilemma because often you'll be like, I really want to kill that Castellan, but I also really want first strike. So I have to kill that unit of guardsmen, which actually realistically, mm, did I really want to go for it? Should I not have gone the Hail Mary and tried to kill the Castellan in this example? Um, You know, because there's nothing more frustrating when you try and fail at that sort of stuff. And there's always that really frustrating moment where you're about halfway through shooting your entire army and you're already aware that you haven't quite done enough damage already. So you're at that weird impasse where you're like, oh, I kind of have committed to this course of action, but it looks like it's not going to bear fruit. And then you try shooting at another thing and then you discover you've committed too much to the one thing. That So having that even as an option if you're going second is, is big in terms of keeping you in the race um, from the start of the game. Because certainly if you're playing chapter approved missions the points differences in terms of winning and losing are very, very slight. So you don't want to even lose out on things like first strike early doors because that can often be a big, big swing in the late game. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm interested for sure. Phil, and I you... think... Oh, sorry. Oh, say again. I was going to say also... Do it again. Also... Do it again. Yeah, also, I was going to say competitive-wise, I think... It, if your opponent know that it's coming, it might force them to play a bit more cagey. They w- they'll be more tempted to hide units out of line of sight. Mm. So it means that they might not be able to go for that first turn charge because they don't want to have their best unit out in the open to be shot before it even gets to charge. Mm. Yeah, the mind games are real on that one, aren't they? Because there's something to be said for turning up and going, OK, you're going first, but just so you're aware... This is a rule, and it's like, yeah. oh god! <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like I'm going to be able to shoot at you with a unit before you've even done anything to me, mm. which is which is huge. Unless, of course, uh, they've uh, got Void Raven bombers, they will have already dropped some bombs on you as they've gone past you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Phil, do you have any closing thoughts on all things Chaos? How are you feeling about them as a faction, army, or release? Uh, well, I was just going to chip in about the Havocs and uh, say, well, you guys pretty much covered everything, um, but the changing of Toughness 4 to Toughness 5 seemed to have created a bit of an outrage online. Mostly people going, but Terminators, what, what, but, but, but why? Why are they not as good as Havocs now? Um, well, obviously... Because I think Terminator is what? Still Toughness 4? Toughness 4, yes. 2 wounds. I think yeah. the fact they've got 2 wounds is what, what they decided mechanically made more sense for Terminators than being Toughness 5. 
Yes, I think obviously people are uh, thinking toughness in a very literal way, and the Terminators are obviously tougher than Havocs, mm. um, are not factoring in the armor save uh, or the um, number of wounds. I do think Terminators. I think the. I've, I know obviously people always talk about throwing more buffs at Terminators, but I do think if you just made it so their power fists weren't unwieldy or not unwieldy, but didn't suffer the minus one to hit i mean that would go a long way on top of the bolter rules that they've been given um and the points reduction they got i think that would be the last little icing on the cake to make them a little bit more viable overall um but yeah definitely the bolter rules help them i still think just terminators are just flawed the game the game hates them there's no it's just again it's one of those game systems where just terminators just never feel right within 40k unless they're um uh, the Blight Lord Terminators from uh, from Death Guard, or potentially the Rubik. What, what, what's the uh, the Scarab Occult Terminator? Sorry, from Thousand Suns. I think those two have got potential. But well, standard Chaos Terminators have got a good look in as well, just because they're they're actually relatively cheap. Mm, well, because you can just so, get them power swords, can't you? Yeah. So if I go here, yeah. so a unit of Chaos Terminators. All with power axes mm. is 175 points. Crikey. Um, or 170 points of power swords. Or, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you can give them all chain axes now. And chain axes are only a point. So, what does that make them then? Because I think a unit of Space Marine Terminators with Storm Bolters and Power Fists are. Uh, coming in at 175, so it seems odd that the Power Sword variant of Chaos Space Marine Terminators would be the same as that. Uh, One thing I, I think is there's on one. Oh, so they're actually automatically armed with the chain axe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're so actually, they're overpriced, is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, no, they're actually. Because they're, oh, oh, I'm using, I'm using Battle Scribe. Ah. So. So, looking in the back of here, uh-huh. a Terminator. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we go. Just... We're about to get a demonstration of Joe's mental arithmetic, everybody. A get Terminator ready. Is twenty six points. Right. And okay. then a combi bolter is two points. Right. Okay. So that makes them twenty eight points a model. Going well so far. Eight axes. One point, so that's okay. nine. So the twenty-nine points a model. Okay, and how many of those you're going to have? You're going to have five minimum, should we say? Okay, so what's that? Well, you have be? to have five minimum. So what did I say? Twenty-nine. Twenty-nine. So that's a hundred yep. and forty-five points. You are absolutely correct. That's not bad. Yeah, that is a super cheap unit that can deep strike in. Um. With the chain axes, the chain axe gives them plus one strength, minus one AP, mm-hmm. um, and they've got two attacks in combat, so they're not—they're no slouch. They're not no, great, no. Um, but for a unit that can just walk up the table and dump out twenty shots, that's super good. I mean, I'm not uh, entirely sure if I'd say they're super good. I'd say they're good. I think they're probably one of the best versions of Terminators you can have, in the sense yeah. that you've got that cheap combat option. 
I think a lot of people would agree that if they could take the uh, the Space Marine Terminators with chainsaws or something, or, or or just no power fist at all, would probably be the preferred option. I mean, looking at the kits now that I've just pulled up on screen, um, it's going to be again. This is the other thing, right? I mean, there's only one chain axe in the box, so it's going to be a yeah. bit of a kit bash special. But yeah, That's the annoying thing. You get the alternate way of doing it. It's slightly more expensive. Mm. If you get the um, Cataphracty Terminators, mm. um, and then Forge World does a chain axe upgrade pack for like 12 quid, okay. and that gives you five arms, five chain axes. Doesn't Forge World also do like a corn berserker unit of uh, Terminators? They do, yes. I can't remember what they're called. The. Uh, I'm just looking for them now. World Eaters. World Eater Legion Red Butchers. That's what they're called. Although they're all power axes, quite clearly. Oh, well, there you go. Can't have everything. All right, brilliant. Well, I think that pretty conclusively summarises the majority of our feelings on Chaos Space Marines. I guess let's finish out. Oh, one thing I want to say about Havocs. Yeah. While you guys are talking, I've... I was thinking about the Havocs, um, going back again to that stratagem, to firing the other movement phase. I think that's actually one of the best anti-Castellan things you can have in the game. Really? Because I was thinking about it, is that if you're a Castellan player, are you really going to want to... I mean, put, in terms of mind games, are you going to want to burn three CPs just for getting shot by one squad to Ooh. rotate your iron shields? So you might not, in which case you've got four LAS cannons going at him, mm. and all he's got is his regular... If, assuming he's got the um, iron bulwark, he's only got his regular four up to him. I mean, that's still pretty good. But yeah, I agree. But I mean, it's. Will it take Iron Shields last for the whole turn? No, no it doesn't. It lasts for the fates. Oh, sorry, yeah. For so, the fates. So, so you'll have to burn. If, if, if that's how. It, if you use that on him as the, as a, as the, the player with the castle, he's going to have to choose between. Or she. He's going to have to choose between burning free CP to have a, that free up in run. Or just taking four LAS cannons at your regular save. Now, that could be pretty. That's a pretty big big question to ask because they and they probably I, I, thinking about it I probably wouldn't if it was me mm. I probably wouldn't rotate the iron shields because in in the next turn everything's going to shoot at me mm. but equally if one of those if two of those las cannons get through and by the odds if you've got like a reroll buff or a by, with, the, with your warlord by those havocs mm. you're probably going to get two through and that two can do what approximately twelve wounds Let's call it ten. That's not enough to drop him a profile, mm. but that's a significant amount of wounds you've caused on him. Yeah. Before and and equally, if he, if if the dice aren't on his side, he's lost it. He could drop a profile in that first turn, so he might be tempted to burn those free CP to get those rotated iron shields on his own turn. You know I what I would do if I was the Castellan player? I'd spend the one CP at the start to do the Abmex stratagem regardless and move. And they'd be like, oh, well, yeah, fine, you did do it, but still I'm full, I'm full profile, so get a load of this. <laughs> Just deal with it that way. Oh, yeah, there's that. But, um, but he, he has less CPs to do that if he's burnt, potentially burnt through on his first turn, which he probably wouldn't. No, no, what I'm saying is if I went first, I'd just spend it at the start. Because you can still do it. Oh, just, just in case I get dropped a profile. Yeah, yeah. 
That's that's that yeah. is that is a cheaper way of dealing with that potential <laughs> problem. Yes, but well, you know, but that's me thinking about it based on the scenario that you just presented. Uh, had I not actually thought about that based on this conversation, I ne- it would never have occurred to me to do that until maybe the first time someone did that to me. But yeah, so there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I'll let you do your wrap up now. No, 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 mate. It was a, it was an interesting insight for sure. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say, I think just the closing thought. How do we rate them overall, Chaos Space Marines? Uh, Joe, are you happy with the new Chaos Space Marines? I am super duper happy with them. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff to make them better. I mm. don't think we're going to see them on top tables still, though. Whilst, you... no, I don't think they're going to be up there. Didn't uh-huh. um, didn't someone with Chaos Space Marines or Mixed Chaos, or maybe it was Chaos Demons, didn't they win Adepticon? Uh, demons. I think it was pure demons. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, well there you go. Joe's in favour of them. Phil, what's your opinion? Are you going to play Chaos Space Marines off the back of this release, or is it just nice to see for you? Uh, well, I was never intending to get on the Chaos bandwagon, but it's really good uh, to see, and I think it would be good for Chaos players, especially from a mini point of view, if not the rules. I think it's slightly disappointing that the Chaos Codex probably didn't address some of the other issues in terms of their power versus the, you know, for example, Elders Codex, in terms of the power creep in general of the Codexes. Um so it's interesting that they, because of that, basically, if you look at space means and people think uh, they should take, you know, have chapter tactics on their vehicles, it's like that ain't going to happen. Or it seems very unlikely because they're not going to fix any problems with the codexes. They're just going to give you specialist attachments and maybe new units. Uh, so that's my sort of one criticism of the uh, codex release but i think the vigilant stuff is all good and the models are all fantastic yeah richie what's your vibe on chaos i think the models are really cool uh, i like they try to give a lot of flavor to the different renegades and the different chapters uh that they have with, with all the, if it's no longer just like chaos renegades and it's that's whatever you painted it you've now got each of these different i'd like to play as a corn player or a slanesh player but with a different flavor um i like that that's been added in the models are re- all the new models i think are really cool uh i also i want to give a one thing two, two things i would want to mention is that because this is like a the first i think in the first time in eight where they re-released a codex uh, as it were yes. i think it's they've done a, they've done a re- on the digital side of things. They've done a really good job because if you already own the Chaos Codex, you just got the new one. Oh, really? I didn't. Yeah, know they, that. Yeah, yeah, they just updated it on uh, at least. Um, that's how they said they were going to do it, and I ha- I buy most of my codexes on uh, my iPad, and they they've updated it, so I've got the new Chaos Codex. I didn't have to buy it again. Uh, I know some people have um, in the comment sections across the internet um, voiced some complaints about that, uh, especially in regard to. That Vigilus um, has some information in the co- that isn't the Chaos Codex. You basically have to buy both of them if you want the phys- if you want the physical books, mm. uh, which is which is a little bit annoying that a lot that some of the new things are aren't in the Chaos Codex. But uh, I think that I think that GW done a really good job of basically updating the the digital ones, um, which is always a tough thing to do. Mm. But otherwise, yeah, I'm really excited for this. Uh, although I'm personally hoping that this means Emperor's Children are going to get their book next. <laughs> with all the Slanish demons. It looks likely with Slanish demons on the way for sure. Um, 
Because you and Joe are going to be running... Well, there's a high likelihood you and Joe are going to be, you know, running Chaos together at an upcoming uh, Warhammer World doubles event, right? Well, that was what I was thinking until Joe literally just said he doesn't think that Chaos are top table, so maybe we should go in Loyalist. (laughs) Nah. I want to do Chaos. I've I've just spent, like, 10, 12 plus hours painting Abaddon. (laughs) But he's not on your list. Yeah. It will be fun though. It will be fun. I, I, I mean, I, I, one thing I would say is I do like to try and get a list that shouldn't be top table or near the top table. Mm. Yeah, I am thinking like a Kaitan, a Master of Possession, a Lord Discordant, and one uh, Creator Possessed. <laughs> and just run yeah. them as a little blob at the middle of the table. You'll make all the friends with that one. Oh, there, right. It'll be hilarious. Um, So, yeah, I mean, my closing thoughts on Chaos. Absolutely love what they've done with it. Uh, Can't wait to see what people unlock uh, within this army once they start to consider all the different combinations and opportunities. And, yeah, I mean, the model range is is really strong. I'm still not a fan of Tim the Sorcerer, the the Master of Possessions, as he's called. And um, there's a few other things. I'm still not, even after seeing him in the flesh, super keen on the the single pose obliterator models that came in... uh, uh, Shallow Spear, but bar that, everything else has been really, really great. So, yeah, no, big fan of what they're doing and uh, looking forward to seeing more of it. So, yeah, I'd say that pretty much wraps up that section of the podcast, guys. So, we're going to move on now to whatever it is that we do next. Cheers. Thanks very much, everyone, for checking out episode 18 of the Lookout Surf 40k podcast. Hopefully, you really enjoyed what we had to offer within the broad spectrum of the hobby and all of its, uh, you know, supporting bits and pieces. Uh, massive thank you for Richard for joining us in that last segment. He's not here in this outro bit uh, because we recorded it at a different time. But Joe and Phil are still here, aren't you, gents? Hello. Just about. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So we're wrapping things up. Uh, so a few last little bits to cover off uh, before we move on and go away. Uh, so uh, we would really love it if you guys took the time to check us out on our Facebook page and uh, you know actually reach out and uh, get involved and have some conversations with us. Recently, we've been in the habit of actually responding to people and talking to people over the medium that is Facebook. So if you'd like to come onto there and, uh, you know, keep up to date with all the various little odds and sods that we're doing on a regular basis uh it is uh look out sir exclamation mark 40k uh on facebook unless i'm mistaken phil do you know if i've said that right uh i think you're probably right yeah if not, um, if you just do look out sir it will come up in the search there you go. actually it's it's just look out sir there you go so like Before. just look out sir exclamation mark uh, yeah, or facebook.com forward slash lookout, sir. There you go. There you go. So please look out for lookout, sir, on Facebook. Uh, also as well, actually, just because they sent me a message the other day and I actually listened to their stuff and I thought they were super nice and it's really cool that they called us out. Yeah, we had a nice bunch of lads uh, from The Codex, a Warhammer 40,000 podcast or something along those lines. Uh, Sam and Mike, I want to say. Yes, that's yeah. right. There you go. There you go. Uh, those two nice lads, even though they called us a bunch of southern softies, which we we are, right? I mean, you can't yeah. really get much more southern or much more soft than uh, yeah. me and Phil, right, uh, right, Joe? <laughs> it's uh, it is quite often cake o'clock, uh, and so the, well, the softness it. is growing. Absolutely. 
um, or half past cake, because then maybe the 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 minute hand is pa- pointed in a southerly direction, isn't it? Oh my god! I know, I know. I'm sorry. Anyway, nonetheless, um, yeah, those guys were nice enough to say that they thought we were quite lovely and good at what we do, which is obviously, you know, a form of madness that they've found themselves uh, under the influence of. But nonetheless. We only felt like it was fair to call them out. So, you know, if you yourself do a podcast and you want to hear us call you out, call us out and we'll probably talk about you because we're fickle. (laughs) (laughs) And we're we're desperate for more attention. Um, So there's that. Even though we just threw it in the end and hardly anyone probably listens to this last bit. But if you do, go check out The Codex, a Warhammer 40,000 podcast made by two rather good painters called Sam and Mike, who I'm guessing are from the North because... One, they called us Southern Softies, and two, they had one of those northern accents that, you know, it's a little bit jarring in the first instance, but you get used to it, you know? Don't let that, you know, concern you at the start. You get through it. It's great. Good stuff from them. Um, anyway, so that concludes episode 18 of the Lookout Surf 40k podcast. We hope you've enjoyed. Thanks very much, guys. Goodbye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.